Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Hey, Miguel Iterate, back here on the Lights Out podcast. And uh, that's the MMA detective sitting over there looking detective-y, I guess, you know, pretty detective-y. And uh, yeah, we appreciate that. Miguel, if you look, first off, we got Jeremy Stevens. I like that. We got Jeremy Stevens, you know, another Midwest legend, um, you know, cut his teeth on the independent grind here. And if you look at the background of my wall, you would think that maybe I'm visiting Miguel, but it's not true. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it no, appears I in my house. Yeah, I, yeah, I did wake up next to him this morning, and he didn't pick out my clothes. Okay, that's yeah. what I'm going to say. So, Jeremy Stevens, I've seen him fight live. I want to say five or six times, and the thing with Jeremy was he was real quiet, real professional, always was on weight, never drama with the ticket money. He was somebody that was just consistent. He had knockout power, but. He was also tra always traveling with a guy like Josh Neer, who was always like, wait, wait, what, what? Like he, 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 he wanted to catch you saying something a little slick, even though you're just trying to have like a normal conversation with the guy. So it was like, you never really paid attention to Jeremy, even though he was doing like big things uh, because he was always there with somebody like Josh, who was uh, going to get your respect, whether you gave it to him or not, he was going to take it. So, um, yeah, we got Jeremy Stevens coming up, man. It's going to be a trip down memory lane. You know, I know the promotions he fought for. I know the promoters were. And, uh, you know, we're going to hope that he's he's really open and really candid with us. Yeah, I'm excited. Just, you know, a crowd pleaser. I don't think that there's, you know, a word that maybe better describes him than that, you know. And I think it, 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 I'm interested to meet him. I haven't met him, so... Uh, I like that. I can draw some comparisons to some guys going in. And I'm probably going to be wrong. So let's get to it. Mike, any plugs before we get Jeremy on board here? With Mike? Uh, yes, I got April 18th, 115 Bourbon Street on the south side of Chicago. I need to do a commentary. Um, but it's April 8th. I want to say April 8th and then April 16th. I'm in Orlando, Florida for um, Abu Dhabi Jiu-Jitsu Pro. It's a jiu-jitsu tournament. Please register through Smooth Camp. And I've got a, a bunch of other dates that I'm, I'm going to release uh, very soon. So, ladies and gentlemen, our, we're growing. Miguel, you see those numbers, Miguel? You see them? Yeah, you watching them? Good. I'm enjoying yeah, it. Certain it. Look good. Certain look good. We might we might uh, get a fifty dollar check out of uh, YouTube. You know, that'd, so that'd be sweet. Yeah, it'd be really nice. <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, like, share, subscribe, please, please do it. It's like giving us a tip. And we got 50 Fight Club member, active fighters still, Midwest Grind, all kinds of great stuff coming up. Jeremy Stevens. Okay, welcome back, Lights Out Podcast fans. Thank you very much for paying attention. Uh, another deep dive. We can't wait for this one. Now, a lot of times we get guys, we talk about, you know, 50 Fight Club member, 50 Fight Club. That, that's our big benchmark. Uh, this guy's almost had 50 fights in the UFC. So. <laughs> yeah, I've been around for uh, fighting, for, I, like we are talking about, 18 years old. Uh, unreal. Uh, everybody welcome. Uh, Jeremy, how you doing, Jeremy? 
Fantastic, brother. Thanks for having me. Man, um, like I said, you've always been around and for a long time in the UFC and just always the guy you knew was capable of knocking people out, put on a great fight. I didn't like that stuff because you are trying to steal my bonuses. I didn't like that stuff. So um, very entertaining guy to watch. I want to know a little bit right now. I always like to start off trying to find out a little bit about your background. Like how, what got you involved in the sport? What are the sports did you play growing up? And, and how did that translate over to fighting? First of all, I was watching you and just trying to mimic you because you were the bonus guy. So I was just trying to do everything you were doing, throwing right hands. I was, I was studying you. Uh, as far as uh, what got me into fighting, um, let's see. Go back to just probably just seeing chaos in the home, a lot of, a lot of violence growing up. You know, once my parents split up, my mom, I've been pretty open with that in other, other areas of my life. She's been a drug addict after her and my mom had split around a lot of abusive guys. I went to a lot of schools when they split up and I was getting picked on, you know, I went to having like an air hockey table. Uh, you know, I used to ride my go-kart down and like be able to turn off a drum set to seeing parties at young ages, crazy stuff, waking up my mom's cleaning the walls three, four in the morning, you know, having to go to school the next day. And I, I just felt like I was getting picked on bullied a little bit. So I had to stick up for myself. I always, I was always in, involved in wrestling from a young age, played baseball, uh, had a lot of older cousins, like, like to rough house Midwest style. You know, if you got lippy, you got punched in the mouth <laughs> and just take it from there. Um, so I was involved in a lot of, a lot of street fights as a kid. And I, my mom was living, you know, when she was unstable, I lived with my grandma and uh, grandfather, Gene Hildreth. And this guy, uh, used to wrestle back in the day, box old school. And he would watch these tapes. We'd be downstairs and, you know, my grandma would be upstairs. Old school days, like ladies stayed upstairs and men were downstairs in the cave. <laughs> and he was always watching UFC. And, you know, at that age, I'd, I'd been in a few fights, you know, hit some guys with some overhands, old school baseball. I would just throw it a home plate. And then I would see guys kneeing people in the head. And it just, I've always been around that type of violence, that type of craziness, you know, that, that psychotic. I've seen people explode. I've seen people on drugs. And I was like, when I saw that, like, knee to the head, I was like, man, I want to do that. Like, that's, I want to be in the <laughs> UFC. And this is probably, I kid you not, fourth, fifth grade, fifth grade. And I was like, man, you know, I'm, I was telling people about the UFC. And I followed Mark Kerr's story. He had, like, a really cool documentary. And he was another guy, Mark Coleman. I started kind of following those type of documentaries and getting into MMA. And I'm like, man, the UFC is badass. And. And when I was 16 years old, my, my grandfather that I knew and, and was talking about earlier, he goes, hey, come out to this bar. It's Toad Holler. I'm sure you guys know about that place being in the Midwest or, or at least maybe heard of it. And I'm like, uh, grandfather, I'm only 16. You know, I don't think they're going to let me. In. Oh, I know these guys. I know these guys. <laughs> he was talking like he was connected. And, and for sure he was. Uh, you know, I went there and he he's like, hey, come on in, come on in, check it out. And I just sat there front row, watched them and. He would get up there like with the ring girls and hold up the cards. His name was uh, Mean Gene is what they called him. I'm seeing a different grandfather than I'm seeing back home. You know, he's letting loose. He's, you know, the wife's not around. He's having a beer. He's having fun. And he's like, so, you know, I want you to watch these guys because I was like going to fight right off. He's like, no, I just want you to come and watch these guys. This is what they're doing. You know, check this out. And uh, right away, just automatically hooked. Came back next week, signed up fought and won and that was the adrenaline that I got from there and my sister was there my older sister who I live with later on 
uh, she was bringing like strippers around me. She's like, Hey, this is my brother, my little brother. He just won, you know, and I got this big boobs in my face and like the, the power <laughs> of the wind, the way that I want people coming up was like, wow, that was exciting, man. You know, like you're going to be something cool. And I was just kind of like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't know really what was going on. I was just in the moment. Then so, it just so, followed from yeah. there. So Jeremy, let, let's kind of, if you don't mind bringing it back just a little bit, like your story, which you, I think your honesty and your openness about it, all it does is help somebody else in the exact same position as you have like hope that they can kind of change the environment that they come from, or at least, you know, rise up from it. You had mentioned you had, you know, some, some drug issues within a house with, with your mom, like between your mother and your father, why was there no stability there? Like, if you don't mind me asking. Uh, from what I've done with like healing and coming back, you know, I would just say that it's just, it's deeply inverted in our DNA. You know, we, uh, a lot of my family likes to drink, you know, uh, split parents, divorce, uh, they saw things in their home, you know, and things that you didn't talk about as a man back in the day, you know, mental health or, you know, that, that shit was pussy back in the day. You know, you just kept your head down, you worked, you provided, we didn't have, and honestly, we didn't have the emotional intelligence, the connectedness. And I don't think like people really truly saw like, you know, there's, there's a secret out there. There's a life. You're going to have a choice, you know, there's going to, and leadership, you know, I don't feel like the leadership or the, those types of things were being involved in those households. That, that's my learning. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for that because of the, I get to choose to learn from that instead of taking it out on myself and, and uh, going down a, a life like, Oh, I'm, I'm never going to be nothing. You know, I, I was able to kind of learn from that and realize from a very young age, I, I don't want to live that life because I saw the craziness that I saw. I was like, yeah, that's, that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go this route. Was there a pivotal moment that you understood that you actually had the ball in your own hands and you could kind of dribble it wherever you want? I think about nine, 10 years old, you know, I was down wow. in the shelter, maybe 11 I was in a shelter with my mom. Like we had this crazy night, like got kicked out by her boyfriend and we're in the shelter. And I'm like, damn, I was just in this house. And I used to live next to this funeral home back on the South side of my hometown named Mike Tanini. And Mike Tanini would give me limousine rides with my mom and have front row seats paid. And I would go watch the WWF and I got a doll and it was like, Ted DiBiase and I wanted the ultimate word. So they gave me like a, we waited and exchanged it, but I don't know. <laughs> oh, I got, I kind of got off subject there. What were we talking That's about cool. real quick? It was the, the, the pivotal moment when you knew that oh, like yeah, you had yeah. the ball in your own hands. So, you know, here, here we are living that, that life. And I'm, I'm here at this house and I have a drum set at that house. I'm, I'm, I'm there's this crazy street, but then we kind of live like off and there's a hill and I would take my, my four wheel go cars, like one of them little pedal cars, but it was fast if you were going down a hill and I would turn in and like my grandparents would, would come and they would chase me like, man, that kid's crazy. And I had an air <laughs> hockey table. I had friends. And then, you know, all of a sudden I'm in this dark life, this other life that I, I knew nothing about. No one told me not about nothing. And here we are at the shelter and I'm like, fuck, this is crazy. I don't, I don't want to be here. And I, I guess just the faith that I had in God, you know, when I looked outside a window, I seen a cross is spinning around and I'm over here like, why, why, like, why, why me? You know, like, I don't deserve this. And I just kept my head down and, and now I know why, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Those, those lessons, those hard lessons, the lessons that 
had had to learn. You know, our grandparents, our ancestors, the different times back in the day, it was a lot, it was a lot tougher. And, 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 it, and these days, we get to learn from it. Jeremy, it sounds like, you know, first of all, I, I feel like I'd be a big fan of your, your grandpa, Gene. He sounds like a hell of a cool guy. So <laughs> I like him. Now, it sounds to me like you had a lot of family support when you started fighting. Is that true? You know, grandparents, sisters, it seems like everybody kind of knew that was a good path that would help you out. Was that true? Did they, would they get behind you? Because a lot of parents and grandparents do not. My grandfather seen me street fight at a young age and he, he'd seen me fight and kind of get after it. He was always like, man, you got it. You got it. And the more he was just influencing me and my uncle Gino, Gino Hildreth is his son. He went to Simpson college, wrestled his whole life was always like riding low riders kind of had like a really cool, clean lifestyle. Uh, you know, I always thought he was kind of spoiled, but man, he took care of me and he, he was cool with shit. Body slamming me all the time. I'd go watch him <laughs> at high school and he was wrestling around and, and uh, I was like, man, he always had the girls. And like, I seen him, he was a heavyweight wrestler light up the stage at North. And I'd always kind of remember being like, dude, he's exciting. And, you know, my, my grandfather was really big onto that. Some other people, parts of the family kind of knew I had that, but my dad, he, he, he didn't like that at all. I'd come home with like a black eye and I, I kind of got into a good scrap at North or maybe on the street. And he was like, oh, I don't want you fighting, you know, like you're going to ruin your baseball career. Like, you know, you need to knock that shit off. Like he was kind of always on me and, and uh, di didn't like it. And my great, he would call my uncle and my grandpa and he's like, man, he needs to knock that shit off. Cause my dad was a produce or he still is to this day for Lofrito. He delivers produce around the city and people would go to this bar and they would see me fight. They knew my, my dad, my uncles, they, they always knew the Stevens boys. They were young strappers back in the day before any of this MMA stuff kicked off. They'd be like, hey, is your dad Kelly Mike and stuff? And I'd be like, yeah, my dad's Jerry, you know? And I'd be like, hey, do me a favor. Don't tell him you saw me out here. But before the word had gotten out, he was hearing about this. And he'd be like, hey, I know you're down there fighting. How, how the fuck are you even getting in, you know? And I'm like, uh, my grandfather. And he'd be calling my grandpa like, man, I don't want him doing that. And they were trying to tell him and convince him like, Jerry, my uncle was like, your son has something special. Like, he's like, I'm hearing about him all over town. <laughs> And he's like, no, it's, it's true. And he came to my first, uh, it was like first, uh, one of the first events, like a couple down the road, he came to one and I was super nervous and he watched me fight. I ended up getting a highlight knockout there. And then like, it just kind of changed his opinion, but not everybody approves. <laughs> just for the record, this is uh, like the 2003, 2004 timeframe. Cause do, doing some quick math here. That's when Jeremy was, Right around 16, 17 years old, just yeah. For the so, there. yeah, so that's in 2000, that's actually like 2002, 2003. I graduated in 04. I was 18 in May. Got gotcha, you, yeah. cool. Well, where, where were you training at this time? Anywhere? Or were you just fighting? Were you doing any like legitimate training? So, no, I was just wrestling. I'd go to wrestling, uh, and we, you know, we were wrestling after high uh, high school for a few hours, and then. I would go to the Josh Neer's gym. It was the one mixed martial arts. Josh Neer was there. Cause when I started fighting a couple of times, I was coming down and <laughs> this is a funny story. My, my, my buddies, they, you know, we had the VHS and I'm like, I fought like three, four weekends in a row. I'm kind of, you know, I got a name around there. People are pumped up. You know, my dad's hearing about it. And, you know, we were like in high school, but we decided to drink a couple beers. My buddy's like recording like the VHS, you know, like we're chugging beers. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to fight tonight. I'm just going to go. Let's just, let's go hang out, get some girls, you know? And, uh, 
and we get in there and then my, my grandpa's like, hey, hey, I, I got you signed up. And I'm like, uh, I'm not fighting tonight. And he goes, no, no, I've been, they've been talking all about you. Everybody's excited for you. That's how I used to talk. They're, they want you. They want you. And then, of course, all my buddies are like looking. They're like, yeah, get him, get him. And I had a rough fight with this guy. He was he was huge. And he was like, must have been a bodyguard or something. And I ended up beating him. He didn't want to come out into the second round. And I remember Josh, like, be like, I was so tired from, from the alcohol or something because I was like, oh, my God, I was in panic. And I, he's like, turn around and look at him. This is Josh Nair. He's never said a word to me this, this in, my, in my life before. I just heard about this guy at this bar. They called him the dentist. And they were telling me, yeah, he kicks people in the face and fucking brutally messes people <laughs> up. But he's refereeing my fight. And he's like, turn around and look at him. And like, I was like, oh, man, I don't know. And he's like, turn around and look at him. I turned around, started like mugging this guy and like mounting him. And he was just kind of talking in my ear. And I got pumped up and and then the guy was like, no, no moss, you know, like didn't want no more. And, and uh, yeah, that was, that was old Josh near, you know, training with him. And he was like, Hey, come on, come on down. You know, we're training at this Academy. He's like, I feel like, you know, you're one of them guys, you know, you could, you could probably do pretty good. And I was like, man, I'm in high school right now, bro. I'm wrestling from like four to like six. And he's like, yeah, we start like at six. And I would like come and be like six thirty, six forty five. I had to go from uh, Norwalk wrestling practice uh, to the uh, northeast side of Des Moines. That was like 20, 30 minutes alone. I had like a quarter tank of gas and a piece of shit Corsica. And, dude, this guy yells at me the first day. He's like, why are you late? Like, da, 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 da. He's like, you show up at 6. I'm like, bro, I told you I have, I have wrestling. And we started sparring that day, you know, right after a hard wrestling. And he kicked me in the leg. And it was the first time I ever felt a leg kick. So man, I, you gotta like the Josh Near style, I man. That'd be perfect style for you to get in with. I think just that old school, hard nosed guy. I mean, once you get in that, you're just a different guy. So I'm, I'm glad you went that route first. Yeah, you were. You got good karma because, like, first of all, your grandfather spotted a little talent, and you're, you're lucky he was right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's off. <laughs> you know? so yeah, that's he, good. And then running into Josh Near is not bad either. Yeah, they're two tough dudes, man, because at, at two points in my life, I was kind of like at that comfortable zone where I was like, no, no, I'm not going to fight. And I had every excuse not to fight, you know, and I, I set my intention that I was just going to go and and fucking just chill and get some girls, which would have been the easier thing. And then my grandfather pushed me in. He made me go a little bit further, but I was just as crazy. And, and I actually took that step. And that stuff was worth it. That's and then like they they saw because they, they came from tougher backgrounds, you know, both of them did. And uh I kind of had that hard nose training at first, you know. It's like, oh, let's let's get outside this comfort zone. And they were both pivotal in those moments. It was kind of landmark times, you know. Jeremy, it's it's I try to explain to people that World War II generation, mm. they're just not the same. They're not, they're not like any of us, like including yourself and Chris, they're much harder, you know, than your <laughs> average person. I agree. You know? So Josh Neer, on a little side note, we actually had Josh on, we covered his UFC career. He said he's refusing to do the interview unless Lytle was there. If Lytle <laughs> ain't there, don't bother calling me. That's what he told us. He needed a, he needed a fellow fighter there to be able to bounce ideas yes. off. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> you want to talk to you, Mike? Sorry. He just didn't <laughs> Didn't care. Didn't want to talk to us. Don't waste my time. Lionel's there. That, I'm cool. If not, don't bother that, me. That's Josh Near and the respect that he has for Chris because we actually grew up watching you and, and, and fighting and stuff. And uh, 
cool. If thank you. Don't you put in work with Josh Neer, he 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 won't he won't fuck with you. And a lot of people think he's crazy and that he's he's one of the smartest, he's funniest, coolest dudes I know. But he's loyal. Like, <laughs> man, you know that's how you can tell how cool that guy is. It's like I remember when when Nate Diaz fought him. That's the only guy I've ever heard Nate not talk trash about. He praised him the whole time about talking about what a badass dude was. I was like, man. Because he recognized just how real of a fighter he is. He didn't care about the stupid stuff. He's just there to try and knock your teeth out, you know, and, and, and they rep, they understand that. So it, that says a lot about him, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And here's one of them guys, bro, you watch him fight, you're like, dude, I got to fight. You know you have to train hard. Like when you, oh, yeah. I, when you, I feel like, yeah, like when you know you're fighting, like, dude, I got to train fucking hard because that's something that scares you. <laughs> yeah, he's uh... – Josh might be many things. He he's not he's not a nice fighter. He's not nice. No, fighting's not nice, man. This sport's <laughs> no. not nice. It's, he's uh, mean. it's a brutal and rough sport, and they that's like a proverb. Those guys are like proverbs, bro. Like they're letting yeah. you know it's you want you want the Psalms to go to WWF or some other shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you you had mentioned Toad Holler, January sixteenth, two thousand four is your first fight on record. And I think I know your opponent, Justin Erdman. Is that is that the wrestler, Justin Erdman? Mm, I don't know. What was that, Minnesota? No, it was a Toad Holler. Oh no, I don't, I don't, I don't remember that. I think that's Justin, the wrestler. I don't remember his name because it was like, bro, it was like you showed up and was like gonna fight. It was that was it. You didn't know nobody. <laughs> I was sixteen. <laughs> the guy had been like twenty one. <laughs> Did, what was your dealings like with the promoter, Chad Mason? Uh, I don't want to badmouth anybody. I would just say it was learning lesson. That's how this business is. When you step into the game, I realized you're not going to make any money. People are going to take advantage of you. And when you do that, I was really at a, such a young and dumb age where I was like, you know what? I don't give a fuck. This is pretty fun, you know? But uh, <laughs> everybody has a story about that. I just I don't like to badmouth people, but, you know, you don't always hear the best things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you don't, do you recall any like John Wright at Toad Holler? You fought him two weeks later, January 30th, 2004. Does that name ring a bell? No, no, some, some Chad Wright, somebody, and someone I fought Wright. And I actually got guillotined one time down there, and he was, he's like a became a fan for life after the we got into a good scrappy guillotine choke me. <laughs> Did you okay. do you remember how it, besides that do you remember how a lot of these fights went? Were you knocking people out? Were you taking them down and submitting them? Ground about how how were you fighting early in your career? I was a uh, big stand up guy. Would 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 get them like rock and and you know if they were most of the guys they wanted to do stand up if they were coming trying to come back heavy, uh, I would just double leg them at the time, slam them on their head and just ground and pound. <clears throat> I would get up. I was trying to I was trying to stomp stomp their head. I, you know we could soccer kick back then and. You know, elbowing and just trying to trying to do it all. I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. I was just kind of getting into street fights and as well as it was, you know, these this back in the times people were smoking cigarettes in the bar. So <laughs> it's a lot different. Now, now Jerry, right. you're one of the guy you're one of the uh guys I can ask this question to because you're talking about being able to soccer kick and all that stuff. I remember when you were allowed to headbutt, like the more rules they've developed, I ask people, do you do you like do you like it better now where you cannot do as much? Or do you like it more open where you could have done anything you want? What do you, how would you prefer to fight? I prefer to fight clean, you know, like a good clean old school, like Irish fight. You know, I seen an Irish video of these two like young teenagers and they're just like 
let them stand up. And they were, they were, once they kind of got engaged, they would break it up. Like just stand up, throw them hands. You know, it was a, it's a clean fight. You know, even in like the streets, you know, my dad would always tell me like, don't, don't start shit. Don't ever start no trouble. If one of your friends is, you know, getting beat up, you know, like don't jump in, like, you know, let it be one-on-one always kept it one-on-one. And uh, I like the cleaner rules. It's better for the sport, better for TV. And it's, uh, it's easy to fight dirty, you know. But, but yeah. just so you know, man, if you ever want, I do commentary for the BKFC. We'd love to have you do some bare knuckle fights. <laughs> yeah, maybe in the future that's that's the route. You know, this I don't feel like my power is going to go away anytime soon. I still love uh, love the sport. Want to keep my face a little bit more prettier for a few more years, and you never know, <laughs> could go that route. <laughs> just an option. Yeah. Uh, so, so Jeremy, there's a 50 Fight Club member from Iowa, Nawada Bell. Do you know who? Do you remember him? From Iowa? Yeah, I thought he was from Iowa. Iowa, Minnesota, Nawada Bell. You actually fought him. I mean, he's he's super legit. And you knocked him out in the second round, February 6, 2004. Like, you were fighting every other week at Toad Holler for probably about a year and a half, two years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't, see, I don't know who these guys are. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know who the fuck they are. Uh, that's funny. I... Literally, I was 16, 18 growing up. It, the, the world was happening so fast. I didn't know, you know, like we signed up literally. Like guys were bigger than me and my grandpa was like, oh, you got this guy. You know, we just like, okay, signed up. And, and back then, you know, it was like you look at somebody. I wasn't trying to get his name. <laughs> Is that what so, so, was? Your, your I, I mean, I have to imagine. Sam, go ahead. I, I'm sorry, your grandfather was cornering you at this point? Like the corner man and that sort of stuff? Is that like a, the family business? No, nah, he would just, he would just watch. My grandpa never cornered me. He would just come back. You know, I'd get taped up, make sure I was kind of, he, he uh, had his son compete in high school. He kind of knew, just let him be coached. He, uh, there were some guys that he knew appointed me to that were kind of wrapping my hands. John Halverson, another guy from the Midwest, good friend of mine. He was uh, first guy to ever wrap my hands. And then, you know, I'd have like a buddy or, or just some goon off the street, one of my boys like with me and just be like, yeah, bro, just give me some water. Like I don't need nothing. (laughs) And that was that. With with a lot of these fights, like you said, you're you're putting in the time and and, like they run together because maybe they were easy. Like, do you remember one of them that may have been like, "Uh oh, this guy's a challenge or like that where you were in trouble? Back in, back when I was. Back in the total holiday. uh, I had a good fight with this kid, man. I got, Maybe a, it was a good first guy. He choked, he choked me out uh, one of the nights with the, with the guillotine. And I, like I had, I was fucking him up and I actually went for the double and he knew MMA and, and guillotine choked me. And I was like super bummed. Cause then I felt like, I was like, damn, like this is fucking crazy. And I started fighting again, maybe knocked out another few guys. And that's when I kind of had that one fight where Josh was like, man, you should come he kind of realized I was a little bit more committed and psycho just as he was that I, I kind of wanted to get better. He saw some good things like my grandfather did. And, you know, my grandfather, he would just kind of come over in the corner, like, you're doing great. Like, keep it up. You know, he wasn't ever a corner of me. And, you know, I had to follow that type of path. I was just wanting to keep it going, evolving. He saw that, got attracted to it and was like, Dude, come, come train with us and learn some stuff. And I was like, you know, I already told you in fifth grade, I was already hooked. I wanted to learn some knees and leg kicks. And little did I know, Nier was going to be doing that on me. But <laughs> that's how you could learn. Okay, so like, I'm really glad you told us that there was a couple years that you would go and participate that aren't on your record. 
were you in attendance for the Houston Alexander Josh Near fight? No, I wasn't. I heard it was legendary. <laughs> I heard Josh, it was like action packed. Like that, that's that's what I that, those are the stories I heard about Near. You know, because people would be like, Man, you're good and you should fight Near right away. Because people just saw me with power then. And my grandpa, I would go to his house, you know, and he'd be like, he would give me the game plan over there. That's when he kind of gave into coaching because he's like, man, you really got something. He was believing me. He was like custom motto to Mike Tyson. He was kind of just inspirational, saw something in me, just kept not just be like, man, grandpa, you're kind of crazy. I'm just having some fun right now. That's pretty cool, huh? And he was just like, yeah, you know, but you're not ready for near. You're not ready for Dwight Housley. And, you know, like these guys are good. Stay away from these guys, but you're, you're on your way. Like, keep it going. Dude. So that was... That was that. Your, you know? your grandpa is nuts. I love it. That's going to be me. <laughs> exactly what somebody like you probably needed. Absolutely. Yeah. He, uh, on his uh, deathbed, rest in peace, Gene Hildreth, he, uh, he said the most beautiful things I ever heard a man say about my mom on a deathbed. And I, I never heard a man say things like that to my mom, not even, not even my father at the time. And uh, it was just incredible to hear that on his deathbed. And he was like, he told me, he's like, champ, you keep it up. You're going to be in the UFC. And he'd always give a thumbs up. Always. That was like his signature. And uh, he told me that. And I, you know, now that I look back, I'm like, man, he saw something that I didn't see. And he was just, he was never really trying to like control any part of it. He was just inspirational. He was that guy that kind of motivated me, put a spark in me. Yeah, it's so, um, you, you, you describe you're surrounded by chaos in life, and he kept it pretty. You're a positive guy, and he kept it pretty positive. That's nice, man. Power positive thinking. Yeah, he gave me some stability. You know, he gave me a home. I was sleeping in his home, kind of following his path. He was he'd be taking me to wrestling practice. Not my dad, not my mom. He would they were they were kind of raising me, buying my groceries and stuff. And he never complained a word. That's how he see me kind of grow up in the street fight. Because uh, I went to a school that was literally like a block away, and it was called Madison uh, Elementary. And I would, one time, you know, I got into a fight right out, right there in the street. I ended up like socking this dude up on my grandma's van, and they both saw it. But he was like, he knew right then and there because he he would just he would never really he's just like, hey, you know, I, I know you're kind of channeling some things. And he's like, I, I feel like you, you you could channel this into into something. And he started showing me them UFC tapes and stuff because he's like, you you got it, you got it. You know, he knew I had that that savage cool, in me, huh? you know, he saw it. So he just, he saw that. And I felt like he was like, you know, this kid's probably, you know, I'm thinking for him is like, Oh, he's probably into something. Like maybe I can, maybe this kid could be directed in the UFC and, and do it because he loved boxing and wrestling. He grew up in his life. He had his son compete and he was heavily involved in it. They loved it. Yeah. You know, everyone's trying to keep you out of trouble. Don't fight. Your grandpa's like, nah, nah, you guys are wrong. He needs yeah. to fight. <laughs> You know, I mean, get, get, getting in street fights is one thing, but then channeling that energy and saying, now you can make this legitimate thing. That's what you should be doing with somebody who's a natural fighter. Put him in the right way. Wrestling, fighting, boxing, something. I mean, channel that. Don't discourage it because that's who they are, you know. Channeling is a good word. I use that word to this day, just being able to channel that focus. Like, hey, life's fucking crazy on one side. Cool. Channel that focus. Take it out over here. Something successful. Take some action and. And uh, be grateful for that because now you know what you don't want. Go after what you want. It's worth it, you know. Well, let's let's talk about your first pro fight. That's a big step from fighting at Toad Howler. Um, obviously, it's June, January 12, thousand five. Downtown destruction. You stayed with Chad Mason. You stayed with Chad Mason as a promoter, 
and um, you fought a future 50 Fight Club member in Ted Worthington. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that fight? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that fight. How'd it go? How'd it play out? Uh, wow. You know, speaking of my grandfather, he had, he had passed away uh, shortly before that. A couple months and we were me and red were gonna fight before and uh something happened everybody had respect in the mma community the underground even uh ted reached out i can't remember how it maybe called me or uh i can't remember maybe a myspace or something he shot me a message was like hey uh your grandfather was amazing because he had fought in that toad hauler and we, okay. we were gonna fight you know we were kind of both going around at that same time and and you know he dodged me back at toad hauler because i was like bro i'll fight you like let's go and he's like no nah, no nah. and you know, we had the chance to match up. My grandfather died and, you know, he tells me that on his deathbed. And, you know, a couple months later, the fight goes on. It's in the middle of winter, uh, Iowa, which is the best time to ever have fights because everybody's like tired of being inside. They want to go <laughs> see a fight. They're beer drinking goons. And uh, they knew that me and him were a great matchup. And, you know, I think my grandfather had a hand in that. I ended up knocking him out, uppercut, 33 seconds into the fight. Oh, wow. Yeah, Ted's no joke. And I think Ted, at that time, wasn't he training with Josh Neer? Or was that Yeah, he line? was. And, and, you know, I kind of had to, like, I had to step aside because my in high school, my baseball, you know, I was wanting to play baseball, and I was really good. And, you know, they are like, man, if you keep this up, you know, you're not going to go to college. Like, we're going to – there. it was Norwalk, so it was, like a, it was like a country town, and it was so small. There was, like, only 180 people that graduated. And they were, like, going to – like call in on them and be like, yeah, there's like minors in, in, in that bar and stuff. So I just kind of, they told me to kind of just chill and stay away from that. You know, and I, I rocked that out until I was 18. And once I was 18, ball didn't turn out and I just started banging right there. And, you know, and then, you know, I was fighting Red Worthington, you know, my grandfather had kind of passed away and I was like, you know what, man, I don't, I don't think this working shit's for me. I think my grandfather was right. And my other grandfather too, he was uh, he was like a real estate guy too. And he was like, man, you have potential, like, he was the one telling me, like, I think you should quit your job and go after your future. And he's like, you know, there's money in this. And he kind of showed me actually how to put together like sponsorship packages, go out, introduce myself, not just be some fighter, but actually go up to, you know, big businesses. Hey, what's up? My name is Jeremy Stevens. You know, nice to meet you. This is what it is. You know, I'm showing my highlight tape, which like I knew I got somebody. As soon as I show them my highlight tape, they'd be like, oh, whoa, whoa. like, all right. They started getting excited. And I'm like, all right, man, what do you think about this? You know, and people get to like support you, back you up and, and sponsor you. And then next thing you know, their side, they're, they're at the big events, you know, they bought a table for you and you're cracking skulls. There's no, there's no better feeling than that. Man, man I, you know, you, you describe your upbringing as, as somewhat, I mean, obviously chaotic and full of turmoil. I, I remember you on the indie scene as someone real quiet, easy to deal with, always on weight, no problems. Like I, you, you were completely drama free. Whatever you were experiencing in your house, you never brought it into the fight game, at least, you know, that I could see. Yeah. I think that's where I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to get, get paid that channel and came in that, that spark where, you know, my grandfather knew I was going through some crazy shit, but I was able to kind of channel it and just, you know, wrestle, do these things that I, that I love to do and kind of have those outlets where I can pick somebody up, slam them. I like that stuff anyway. I was always living room wrestling, watching John Claude Van Damme. I felt <laughs> like just I would channel that. And then, you know, like it comes out in the fights. People wonder why, like, I'm so brutal or, oh, man, he's a violent fighter. People fear me or they come at their best when they know they're going to fight me because 
I love that type of violence. And that's like my only outlet. Like you're going to pay me. I feel like a contract killer. You're going to pay me to do what I love to do. And I can go in there and knock this guy out. And you guys are going to give bonuses. You guys are going to do this. Like, plus everything that came with it, you know, as, as a young man and growing up. And, and the fact too, that my father sit in front row that he didn't like this. And, you know, a lot of people like, Oh, the fighting doesn't pay bills. And I was like, man, I don't really care. Cause I'm 18 years old. I have my whole life to work, yeah. you know? like i don't really care at this point like i like f you like my grandpa says i'm pretty cool like i'm gonna keep rocking you know mike we talk about sometimes how you know mma or a lot of different things but it it saves a lot of people and it it, it does you know what i mean this could definitely be a situation where you could have seen where somebody had all the opportunity in the world to go the wrong direction but because he fell in love with this sport it pushed him in the right direction you know i definitely think this is one of those situations Yeah, Jeremy, you'd be in jail without MMA. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, man. I, I've uh, I've been there. It's not not good times, but they're learning lessons, and those were short ones that I could just be like, you know, yeah, I need to just keep keep my head in the grind. You know, keep keep your head yeah. down, work hard, and learn from your mistakes. You know, it's like, oh, and if you fall down, pick yourself up right away. You know, recognize it and, and keep moving and grooving. So, Chris, look at his career trajectory. This is where it's it's real interesting. So. That's January 15th, a big local rivalry. It should be a really hard fight. It was pretty easy, you know, for Jeremy. His second fight is three days later, January 15th, 2005, in Minnesota against Gary Percival. Who was the promoter for that? I can't remember. And that I, that, that guy beat me, I think, as a choke. It was a good fight. I had staff infection. Had staff, was sleeping. Is that is that a guy right? right? I lost that fight. No, it says you won by KO. Maybe that's a different time. There, there was a guy maybe in Minnesota. I went one time. I had a staff infection. It was like <laughs> it's a couple. I took it on short notice. Had a staff infection. Crazy fight. Was it Brad Kohler? I I don't I don't know the names. I I was up. <laughs> I don't know the names because I was uh, I wasn't even from there. And I actually went up to Minnesota a couple times and, and fought and. And almost got uh, uh, beat up o- over there in Minnesota too for for fighting and winning, and people don't like you over there. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. sounds like a Brad of it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got a, I got a question for you, Jeremy, because you're. It sounds like you're a pro wrestling fan too. Did Did you catch that Shayna Baszler was on some of those cards with you up there in Minnesota? What's that? Did you see that Shayna Baszler actually fought MMA on some of those cards with you in Minnesota? She's in the WWE now as one of their women's fighters. Yeah, I had no idea, a, a clue of nobody. I'm just a young, dumb kid who got invited up to Minnesota to not get paid and uh, go <laughs> there and fight, almost get my ass kicked, have a buddy drive up. Uh, we didn't even stay in a hotel. It was crazy. We just drove up. I even drove up with uh, Red Worthington one time. We fought side by side and uh, got in some good scraps together. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, you got a bunch of fights that aren't on your record. Um, so that was called Jungle Madness. I'm so positive that was Brad Kohler. You also mentioned you didn't get paid for it. That checks another box of it Brad possibly Kohler. being his event. <laughs> and, and also oh, yeah, the there's a lot of those out there, you know. Yeah. Also, the jungle name in Minnesota. Like, Minnesota's not really famous for the jungle. It sounds like that Russia in Michigan deal. That- yeah. They eventually did, yeah. So your next fight is uh, two weeks after that, February 2nd. So we're going three fights in a month and a half now. Uh, Downtown Destruction 2, Chris Khalib. Downtown Construction. 
Yeah, do you remember that? Uh, what happened in that fight? You knocked him out first round, 144. Is that Yeah, that was uh, in Des Moines, right? That was in Des Moines. Josh Neer was the main event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't remember any of these that well, huh? No, I do. I do. I, that, that, that's funny because Chris Kali, he actually went to my high school. And he was like, my opponent backed out. And he was like, I'll fight you. He's like, oh, man, people want, they came to see you. And he fought me that night. And I ended up uh, beating up a friend of mine. <laughs> he wanted to try out MMA. It was funny. Me and him used to actually live in room wrestle all the time back in the day, too. You know, we'd oh, get, it in, get it on freaking just wrestling, training. Yeah, it's that's a good doing friend MMA right there. They'd be like, hey, show me an arm bar. Like, hey, what are you doing here? You know, like, what are you looking for? <laughs> that's a hell of a good friend right there. That, like, you know, I'll jump. I'll jump on the grenade, man. Your guys didn't show up. I'll fight. Okay. He was such a fan. And he was such my boy. He goes, bro, people came to see you fight, bro. I want to see you fight. He's like, I want to do it. He's like, I just want to try it. It's going to be fun. I was like, dude, don't do this, bro. Because I was like, if we're going to fucking get in there, we're going to throw. He's like, no, they came to see you. They love you. And uh, he's a cool guy. I've actually, he's, he's came out to, to some of my fights and came out to, you know, coming back home, celebrating, you know, and uh, he's, he's been around and, you know, he has a beautiful family now and uh, good guy right there. He was somebody in high school that, uh, that I'll always remember. He was a good friend to me back then when I needed somebody. Mike, that's, that's really the guy, cool. too. That's the guy that watches Jeremy on pay-per-view now and goes, yeah, I fought that guy. I fought that yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Almost had him. I was winning the whole time. You know, the first minute I had him, right? First minute, yeah. 33. Yeah. Red, you know, I knocked out Red. We became really good friends and training partners. You know, one time I triangled him in the gym, and he actually picked me up like Rampage. I didn't think he was going to, you know, I thought he was going to let me down nice, you know, and, and then, dude, he slammed me down. <laughs> Hard enough, oh. like me and him got up and almost got into a fight, and you know we both got kind of kicked out of the gym. But you know, we you know we're friends with these guys. Or somebody would come up to me and be like, "Man, I remember we fought back in the day? You know, you knocked my ass out. You know, but fuck, man, I've always been a fan and watched your career. We always knew you're gonna go somewhere, like because I think you know people brought that presence. You know, I was training with Josh Near and going up to the Militich camp. We we're just quiet nose. You know, you wrestle, you go out there, you do your thing, your hand gets raised, you run back. You know, just enjoy your time. You know, and keep keep working. So I think people realized and saw that focus from a young age that, you know, I, I was trying to go places and that's why I was fighting three days later, five days, two weeks. I was literally, I was trying to be in the UFC at 18. I wanted to be there. I, I was mad that Josh near took John Halverson to corner him. I was like crying in tears because I was like, bro, <laughs> I've been putting in all the training. You're just going to dog me like that. That's fucked up. Like I was in tears, you know, cause I was like, I deserve to be there. I want to go there. I want to know what it feels like. And you know what? John Halverson ended up taking me uh, in his corner to a UFC fight. And I'm kind of glad he did that because I got to kind of realize, I'm like, bro, they just put a camera in your face. Everything else is just, it's like the playground, you know, like, let's get into this. Yeah. When Josh Neer left for Militich Fighting Systems, it did, uh, how difficult was that for you being a teammate of his? Because it was just, it was like you two versus Iowa. And, you know, you, you weren't capitulating. You weren't going to Militich. You were trying to start your own thing. Yeah. Hang on one second. One second. Can you... Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to get off by 410, fellas. I have to pick up my daughter. But what, mm -hmm. were, what were we saying? I'm going to go back to that question. Where With, Josh, uh, Josh kind of left Militich. Yeah, when Josh Neer left, left for Militich, how difficult was that for you? And why didn't you go with him? I did actually. It just kind of took me a while. You know, I was, the, I was a young man at the time, you know, I could barely get around 
the neighborhood because I was just fighting and scrapping, you know, people, you know, I was trying to pick up a job here and there just to kind of get like some where I can go back to training, grab some gas. You know, I was really kind of living those, those moments. I wasn't living off the government, but I was broke as hell just trying to get a dollar every day just to kind of go to training. Someone ended up getting a place over by there, you know, so we were just always over there every day training. And uh, he went up there and I was like, you know, I was bummed, you know, but I'm like, you know what? Like, he's fucking doing it, you know, like he's actually going for it. And I'm like, that inspired me. I'm like, dude, the big bro left the nest and I, I know where he's at is a serious place. Like I'm trying to get up there. Once like I kind of got my stuff together, got sponsors, got my name noticed and, and was uh, doing well for myself. I was going up and visit him uh, a little bit at a time, you know, and then we'd go out buy groceries. I was eating his nutty bars in the middle of the night. He wake up, get mad. You know, he had his uh, daughter, JC, you know, around that time. He's with his girl living in the apartment, just trying to live the dream. There I am on his couch training with the best in the world. <laughs> so. One month after this, so, I mean, you can kind of see, like, how almost frantic he is getting fight after fight after fight. You fight a stud that uh, many people avoided in Chris Mickle at this time. It was at Downtown Destruction 5. I think it was for a title fight, um, March 2nd, 2005. Do you recall that, that first meeting with Chris? Yeah, 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 I do. Want to walk us through it? Yeah, it was that that guillotine uh, choke. You know, here I am. I'm like, you know, I want to fight. I'm, I'm I'm doing great. And you know, Josh Neary told me he's like, hey man, you know, you should probably wait a little bit. Don't fight this guy. He was kind of the one. And I was like, I didn't know how to accept that. I had an ego back then. Fuck that. Like I'm going straight through this dude. Like I'm gonna be the guy <laughs> to beat him. Like I don't care. Like I'm gonna knock him out. He's gonna feel it. And he's just like, dude, he's good. He'll he'll kind of weather the storm. Just kind of chill. And I didn't listen. I went down there and I fought him. Like I just reacted on emotion and, you know, it proved to be right. He, he guillotined me and I just took it hard as hell. And that's when Josh kind of invited me back to come train with them guys. And uh, Timmy Gorman was there. A lot of, a lot of like uh, Midwest, D'Amico Deeds, Victor Moreno. And that was like when the gym was good and they invited me to come back. And that's like when I really kind of, I took that, that right there. I took that loss I was like, I'm not the man no more. You know, here I am back to back, knocks people in. I'm like, man, like this hurts. Like I want to get better. Like I need to get better. Like, like fuck that. Like I'm not just going to let, I'm not going out like that. Like I need to keep this going, you know? And that's when I went back and I started working my ass off and training. And then, you know, we had two more great fights after that, uh, that loss, you know, and he taught me a lot. And he was a guy that it was going to be me or him in the uh going up into that training with Militich and possibly get on a big show you know at two weeks after that chris he fights shane blanchard in extreme cage combat what do you recall about the promoters nick gamst and uh jeff paul uh just just funny guys wearing that fucking uh that uh those rhinestone pants and tight t-shirts and, and you know they're, they're the guys paying i didn't really know them that well i didn't i didn't really give a shit my dad was at that that fight you know i was puking in the background and uh josh near and victor moreno calling me a pussy like you're gonna be all right and i i remember just like i don't know it was crazy yeah so uh nick gamst is the promoter that paid nick thompson with a boat because he didn't have his win money so just if you guys want to listen to another Nick Gamp story, you know, the Nick Thompson uh, interview is a, is a couple of them. I remember um, the go Thompson. That's funny. Yeah. So at this time, though, like Josh Neer and Derek Noble are the main event. And 
Dude, Jeremy, I'm just going to be real honest with you. Like, we hear Toad Holler, you know, I'm from Chicago. We hear Toad Holler, we're like, dude, it's just some stupid bar fight where, you know, hillbillies go and they beat each other up. Nobody is coming out of there that's going to be any good. When Josh Neer beat Derek Noble, it was like, wait a minute. There, there's a real special talent up there that's going to break through because, you know, as all, all four of us can attest, Derek Noble was no chump and he finished him. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, man. And I, I think that was a testament to Josh, man. He would uh, nose down and grind, bro. He was all about hard work and putting in something extra. And and uh, he didn't have a whole lot around him. And that's kind of where I learned on my man. American top team, great facility, you know, all these gyms. Like, no, bro, it all starts right here. And I remember Nier just kind of putting that – he was that leader. He was like, no, I don't need nobody to show up. Like, let's put in this work. And and uh, he did it, man. It was crazy. Yeah, it kind of it kind of put him on a national radar, that win. And you take five months off after that fight. <laughs> Is there a reason? I think I probably maybe got paid a little bit of money. I don't know. <laughs> what year was that? It was 2005. Yeah, I'm, I'm a knucklehead running around Des Moines, probably like at the bars, just grinding, dancing, you know, training a little bit, putting in a little bit of work at that time and and just uh, living my life. Okay. Yeah, I thought, I thought maybe you got locked up, dude. I'm not going to lie. I guessed. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, man. Uh, no, you fight William Shutt, August 27, 2005, Extreme Cage Combat Trials. They are kind of positioning themselves. XKK was a fantastic organization at one time in terms of like bringing along high-end talent. And this trials was going to define like who the toughest, you know, at 155 was in the, in the Midwest. And, you know, your, your first opponent with William shut. Yeah. Scary dude. You know, actually that was the one where I was puking uh, because he had a tattoo on the back of his head. And I remember telling my buddy, I was kind of laughing at him. I'm like, dude, look at that fucking killer. You got to fight over there. And he's blasting these pads and he's like, dude, that ain't my opponent. That's your opponent. And I was like, Oh, you know, and like I remember just being real nervous. And that was the first fight actually my dad had uh, gone to, not not the other one. And uh, I was just super nervous throwing up in the back. And Josh and Vic were just training me. And they're like, oh, you've been training for this. Like, you got this. Like, you've been putting in work. Like, you're going to go out there and kill it. Man, I went out there and just demolished real shut. Man, I, I actually first did – I did the knees that I, I was – wanting to do to somebody for a long time i was able to land a hard liver kick and just brutal knees uh to will shot's head like leaving him a gash like uh what was that eastman and vitor belt for i remember that fight and that's exactly how it went and i was like i think i guillotine choked him maybe uh for the win but i remember kind of being like so proud of that moment because i was like man i've been watching this since fifth grade i finally just did it right in front of my dad my dad's just looking like the hell you know i guess people were talking and you know like i guess they were right that was the first time he was kind of like okay and the way that the crowd reacted too you know i was always been very exciting and put on those types of uh sick fights just naturally so they, they appreciated it and i think my dad kind of then was like wow i guess what they're saying is true like okay i get it now did your mom ever did your mom ever go to your fights no nah, no don't worry, my mom never went to one of mine either, but she is afraid. But anyway, Will Shutt, that's a, 
he's a tough guy. He spent time in Thailand. He's a good fighter, man. I mean, that's a quality win at that time in your career. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, he's a he's a great guy too. I see him around the Midwest every now and then. I haven't seen him in a few years, but anytime we we click up, I always say hi to him, and he's he's always very respectful and, and, and likewise. So I think he's from Creston, Iowa, too. So I, I know that area. Yeah, he was legit. So five months later, one of the coolest organizations to come along in a long time forms. It's like John Halverson, Ryan Hass. I don't remember who the third person was. The Midwest Cage Championships won February 11th, 2006. And you're the main event against Kendrick Johnson. Oh, yeah. Is that hard to pull in? Because that, that was actually a pretty high-end event um, when it was kind of running on all cylinders. Man, that was sick, bro. That was a huge at Seven Flags. I mean, I had packed the house with – there's probably over 3,000 people there, and it's dead of winter. What? Cold as cold as hell. And uh, the music was playing. The theater was right. It was like the stage had kind of – had gone up, you know, and it was, it was just – it was incredible, you know. And uh, there we are fighting, and, you know, I'm fighting for the, the title. You know, I was getting paid like 700 bucks to win, win the title, and – it was amazing. I was, I was like a proud moment. <clears throat> Hold on. You're, you're, you're a huge ticket seller. Please tell me you're getting a percentage of that because you should have been getting a good percentage and making a decent check that way. Uh, once I won the belt, I kind of realized I, I remember them guys kind of saying something, you know, and I was like, man, you know, I was talking to Josh and Josh kind of worked out a percentage like, hey, this kid works hard because they were trying to wazzle dazzle me a bit, you know, and, and, and you know, the, like that's the way the – the Chad Masons, the, these guys, they kind of go up around kind of fucking just getting over on people. I mean, it still goes on to this day. You know, you hear about fighter pay and all this bullshit in the UFC. It's like, that's why I knew from when Chad Mason, like when I went up to like Minnesota, going up there, you know, not getting paid. I remember like, I know what type of game I'm getting into, but I didn't care because I loved it. You know, and that's the real reason why I truly passionately went at it. I didn't care what other people were doing. That's on them. Shit happens, you know. And, uh, that was a life, you know, it just is what it is. Yeah. So you win that fight by KO 146. Like, dude, you're just murking people. Like, yeah, that's when I started getting those uh, ticket sales though. Cause that's when I was like, you know what? And then I was a good ticket seller where I was getting like 35% of my ticket sales. And I was going oh. to my backpack, going to inside the clubs. I would go to uh, my buddies, all my, uh, all my friends, you know, the, all the hustlers, all the, all the gangsters in town that were hustling, you know, doing the thing. Those are the best. Always bought T-shirts, always bought tables, always came to the thing, after party bottles. I mean, it was lit in Des Moines at that time. People really wanted to see fighting. And, and uh, that too, man, I had people just come up one time. I was selling behind, not even fighting, just give me 20 bucks. I said, keep it, man. You're, you're on your way. Like, keep doing your thing. I had a lot of belief and a lot of love around, around uh, Des Moines around that time. So things started moving up from there and I was like oh we can actually get some money here you know Jeremy you acted exactly the opposite of what you experienced in your house growing up yeah because that's that's you know you know that's what you say and I and it's obvious I mean you're obviously correct but you know saying it doing it are two completely different things and like you you really handled yourself a lot different than uh, what you had experienced growing up, for sure. Yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, it's a way of being, they say. You know, instead of being, like, complaining about stuff, like, no, start being the million-dollar man. Start start getting up, running, putting in the work. Be a way of being. Start being nice to people. You want to be 
you want to be treated nice and respected, start start respecting people. Go above and beyond to open doors for people. And I always felt like, you know, I read the books, Law of Attraction, self-help books, self-improvement, because I was like, you know what, I'm not very fucking smart, but I'm going to learn how to kind of better educate myself. My grandfather was good about teaching. My other grandfather, Vern, he was good about like real estate, going up, approaching. I was going out on sales with him. He's fully suited and booted. So I kind of saw a business side, too from the the just the hard work like yeah it takes the hard work but there's also a business side and you know great grandfathers great leaders and you know i felt like i had to be a way of being in order to get that you know you want to start being kicking it at the palms top of the hotels and in vegas nightlife fights start acting like as if you are start putting in work you know like people like how do you get sponsors and i'd be like be in the gym put money in the gym and they'd be like oh no how do you really do it i'm like i grind i'm in the gym i win if you win then you don't have to really go out and search for it like stay here and that's just uh reading books trying to educate myself because i knew the life that i did it i just felt like i started having to be a certain way in order to kind of get to where i wanted to be yeah it's you breaking know, the cycle yeah well, you know, the cycle. Jim, you're talking a lot about um, things i like to you're talking about just different making choices and i wonder sometimes you know i've seen a lot of people who have been in a bad situation and, and you know not many of them do let's say one out of five you know go the opposite direction i always wonder you know what is it about individuals that make people some of them can rise up and make the and it's all that personal choice you talk about like i'm gonna do this and i don't like this life so i'm gonna do it but i always still wonder what it is that makes certain people work harder and other people make excuses i mean to me the best thing you can ever do is quit making excuses about the way your life is because there's always going to be an excuse once you quit doing that the whole world opens up but i always wonder what makes people figure out that out and do it you know because most of the people don't but you did it you know i know probably everybody here did it but a lot of people just can never do that does anybody ever figure out what what is it that makes people, certain people go i'm going to change that i just can't figure that out i think it's the way they relate to pain i feel like you know you kind of need pain to grow it's like it's it's a way of life or patience and waiting and you know kind of like my grandfather near you got to get out of the comfort zone you got to go push push past and really really do that i think if you can relate to pain and accept the pain the hardest pain and accept the the way like everything else after that you're like bro everything else in life is fucking easy you know like from from true pain you know like ah you know not getting paid by somebody who owes you some money that's not true fucking pain true pain is like your mom's at home you know she doesn't come to your fights yeah, you don't know where she's at. You hear like on the streets, I saw your mom the other day. That's true fucking pain. And then, you know, I feel like you got to make a choice. Some people, yeah, I, there's empathy out there for people, but it really comes down to a choice that you're going to have to make. Either one, you sink or you swim. It's, it's you know, the, the, the strongest is going to survive, the one willing to adapt, you know, make the changes grow. I mean, it's, it's a deep, it's more than just a simple answer. It's a, uh, it's a lifestyle of adjusting to pain and experiences in your life. Like you're going to have a choice and, and there's probably two choices, a good, a good choice, good life, a bad choice, bad life. You, you know, it, I, I think he's right. Here. I think a lot, of, a lot of people just avoid that pain, but go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Jeremy, you know, it's such an easy thing to do though, than just sit at the bar stool or use drugs and just numb yourself and continue numbing yourself for years. Anybody can do that. The hard part is to break that cycle. That's what like a real, like a, a real man in your position does. But what I find, what I find with even when it comes to like healing and, and, and growing and, and regenerating after the healing, is the fact that like 
you have to, you know, you have to just allow yourself to go there, you know, make that choice, you know, allow yourself to kind of be in that experience and do the work. Like if you're not willing, willing to really do the work in, in healing or, or, or in fighting, or if you don't really try to want to go and level up, most people just don't want to do the work. The people that don't do the work and they want to sit back and slack and, and do bullshit, they end up living uh, twice as a bad life. Like a coward dies like a, a thousand deaths, right? But the people who actually just fight down step by step, and I never make fun of anybody on their journey. If they just wake up today at 46 years old, who says you can't be successful at 46 or 48 years old and wake up and start a fucking business day by day? It's like, if you have today, you have a beautiful life. You have a lot to be grateful for. Let's just start looking into these choices and doing this work. And there's programs, there's other stuff to get out there. But again, you have to do the work. If you don't do the work, don't expect don't expect a million dollars. No, you can't. If you keep doing the same thing, you can't expect something different. That's it. Exactly. Your rematch, your uh, uh, Chris Mickle. What was it like going into that? It's uh, Midwest Cage Championships four. Trying to get that loss back. Yeah, that was huge, man. That was uh, life or death because he was kind of talking a lot of stuff like, oh, I'm going to beat this guy. I already beat him uh, at the weigh-ins. He's like, shine that belt for me. And I remember like looking him in his eyes, like coming in shape and being like, I told him, I was like, I'm going to murder you. And my buddy just started kind of like, like, that's, that's crazy. You know, he's like, and we went and we had a huge battle that, that, that second fight, you know, and he was kind of laying on me a little bit. I got up and just started firing like some right hands, left knees and uh, ended up, ended up knocking him out. Vicious left hook. He goes out. It's kind of controversy. And then we follow up, do another fight. Another well, why, why was it controversial? Because uh, I knocked him out and he kind of like fell down. But when he fell, he kind of like double leg, but he was like all wobbled up. But even before that, I was kind of rocking and the ref had stopped it. And as he's going in, like I punched Mickle, but the ref's like trying to get in the way because you see it like all on a camera and Mick Mickle's his head goes back and he just kind of falls down. And you can tell he's kind of out of it. And he's like, I'm like, does he realize? Because I had stopped. I was like, does he realize? And the ref's like trying to pull him off, but he's still kind of like trying to do the double leg. And I, I'm getting off like celebrating. And that was like controversial. He's like, oh, I wasn't out, you know, like, duh, 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 let's run it back. And I remember being in the background and his uh, his teammates, like everybody was like talking shit. And I go, hey, we'll run it back. Like, I'm, I'm a man. Like, we'll run it back. Like, like, I don't know why you guys are acting like a fucking big deal. There's another there's another fight. We'll run it back. And I remember near me and like, you guys better run it back now. Because if you don't run it back now, Jeremy's getting better. Like, as time goes on, like, he's going to lap you up. And they're like, all right, run it back. And we decided right there. Right I, I shook back. Chris's hand as he was kind of wobbled still in the back, talking about, oh, no, no, no. he's all like, oh. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I'll, I'll fight you, dude. I was like, shake, I'll shake your hand on it. And we ended up fighting again. So you didn't fight again that night, did you? It was a different day. Different, yeah, different. Night. Okay, yeah. I thought you were running back right there. I was like, hell yeah. We're getting to the big stages a little bit, you know, the okay. underground big stages. Yeah, Jeremy, I was at this fight. That that, that fight was over. That fight, yeah. it was it was over. Like there, there's no controversy there. It's I think it's more feelings than actual, you know, physical things that took place. Yeah, that yeah, was, was over. in the back though. It was like they were kind of like mad about it. I was like, I, okay, I get it. You know, like we'll run it back. Like that was a sick ass fight. You know, let's do it. So, but I knew I was getting better, and that just kind of gave me more confidence. So I was like, then here we go again. Ran it back, and that yeah. one like really put the stamp on the deal and that that third rematch 
uh, we got in, I had actually hurt my rib. John Halverson bruised my rib. And I was telling Josh, I'm like, man, my ribs hurt. He's like, just roll, do some jujitsu. And I remember turning and being like, uh, uh, he's like, man, it's really that bad. I had to ride the bike the last like week and a half, two weeks and just kind of hit the bag. And, uh, I couldn't really do much. I remember carrying my laundry upstairs. My rib was all, all jacked up. And, uh, I fought him and, and people thought like I was tired, but I was putting my hands on my knees trying to breathe because when I was like up in my stance I really couldn't because Chris had hit me there I'd put my hands up and he ripped a good like right hook to the body and I was like oh like my rib is just jacked and and man I had good ground and pound takedowns in the stand-up he I don't think maybe he took me down but I was like getting back up we end up going to the fourth round my coach after the third round throws my belt throws my 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 stuff and I'm like kicking it out like yelling at him like what the fuck like bring my water like I'm uh, he's like, I thought it was three rounds. I'm like, it's a five round fight. Like, and then like the, the, the it's chaos. Right. And there's the trauma that my, my child, I'm like, oh, well, like, I'm like, I'm not even like breathing. Right. And I'm like, dude, I got to go another two rounds. Like my motherfucking coach could barely give me a water break. And I didn't even sit down. And then uh, I ended up spinning back this, knocking him out like super bad. Oh, he was out for like five and a half, six minutes. Oh, um, wow. And it was bad. You know, I went up, like shook his hand. He was like clearly out of it. Reminded me of when I fought Marcus Davis too. He was just kind of still out of it. And I remember like back then my, my family had like Kodak pictures and their family, like we'd be, my family be here hugging and like in the background you'd see him like finger and like <laughs> shirts and, and uh, we fought and, you know, like, again, you know, all that noise was going on. I went up and I shook his hand and I said, Hey, you know, I really appreciate this time because uh, you made me get better. You're a guy I trained for in the gym. And he wasn't really listening to me, but his dad was kind of there. It was kind of intimate. They're kind of giving me looks. But what I said, them got, then, then they kind of really appreciated it. Sometimes those things, they, they, they hear. For a rematch. It gets intimate. It gets intimate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes they hear those things like a day or two later. You know, not right then and there. It takes a few days to kind of let your emotions settle down. Oh, yeah. But Chris Mickle, for everybody that, that might not know who he was, I think this fight is the one that changed him. Like he really wasn't the same after this. I mean, there's two back-to-back -back hard knockouts in my opinion. I don't think it's controversial. He was taking some, some heavy blows, you know? And like, just so everyone knows like what type of like individual Chris Mickle is, um, Travis Fulton was over at Dave Strasser's, one of Dave Strasser's events. Dave really needed a fight for a guy from Washington named Anthony Hamlet, who's pretty talented in his own right. Travis Fulton says, hey, I think I got a guy. He's like three hours away. We're like, you know, why are you even bothering calling this individual? He drove wrapping his hands in his car on the way, parked his car in like a handicapped spot with his blinkers on, runs in, barely makes it in, beats Anthony Hamlet, goes and moves his car, comes back and gets paid. Like Chris <laughs> Mickle is legit. He's legit. That's gangster moves. Now, yeah. Jeremy, sometimes, you know, you talk about right after a fight, the emotional aspect of it, man, like the adrenaline drop is so great. It's just like you're saying things you don't even realize. I think what Mike said is very accurate. Sometimes you don't notice really even it process it for about a day. They're like, did that guy tell me? And you don't really think about it. Um, can you attest to that? Like at a time when you won or lost, we just like, man, what am I even talking about? Cause I know that's happened to me before. Yeah. When you lose, man, I feel like you really feel like it's complete opposite. You feel unloved, you know, like you hear boxers oh, yeah. and the famous guys, like all I had like two missed calls and both were from my mom. 
or something like that, you know, and uh, you have those <laughs> moments like, damn, you know, I thought he was like on his way up and then like it doesn't happen. Things don't happen the way way people expect them. And you're in fights with some of the best in the fucking world, you know, and uh, your, your legs hurt and your calves hurt. And these are hard lessons. Some days when you're walking up the stairs and your kids are like, hey, let's go to the park. And you're hobbling up the stairs to go just kind of get ready. And you know, you're sore and you're, you're getting rub downs in between the, the hanging out with the family sessions. Uh, it's a long time to process things. And there's a lot of like unloving moments that you're like, fuck, you know, a lot of that doubt creeps in like, what the fuck? Am I really this good? And then you just, you know, once you heal up, you kind of like, you sat in that darkness for so long. You're like, I'm okay now. You know, like, all right, here's the light. Here we go. I'm actually healthy. Thank God I'm fucking healthy. I can walk up my stairs. And then I started getting funny because I'm like, oh, man, look at me. I'm springing on my stairs now. You know, you're ready to go to the gym again. You know, you're kind of like, all right, I lost. Like that Chris Mickle, he choked me out. All right, that fucking sucked, but I'm all right. You know, it's like uh, Happy Gilmore. 365 more days the next hot <laughs> Ooh, that so, worked, but I'm all right. <laughs> and, and that loss, like your situation's a lot, much more different than most people on either coast. Like you live in a neighborhood where they live, eat and breathe, f- breathe fighting. It's like it's kind of like going to, you know, where shoot boxes and, and see like and, and like they, they they follow the fighters just like they would in a small city in Brazil. So after you lose to Mickle, what's it like going around town after that? After the loss? Yeah. Oh, I just went straight to the gym. I was going around, hanging around with Josh near and going straight to the gym and. Uh, I was listening to a little Wayne money on my mind, stick to the grind. You know, I was just listening Tuning to it out. Like huh? that. Yeah. I was like at home, probably living with my sister, just training. Like, dude, I got to beat this kid. That was like, all that's on my mind. There was nothing. There was no distractions. I wasn't hanging out drinking. I was going to the clubs to hang out with the homies and sell them t-shirts and tickets. And then I was bouncing out like on the weekends. Like I kept my head down, made a lot of money that fight for myself. And and I uh, just took advantage of the opportunity. And I was nervous as fuck because I was like, man, this guy's already beat me. So it's a it's a hard one. So where we left off was Chris Mickle. But in between the Mickle trilogy completing, you fought September 22nd, 2006, Universal Gladiator Championship in Louisiana against a guy who's 10 and four with three of his losses with guys that went on to the UFC. And that's Aaron Williams. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. How hard was that fight? I knocked him out, like, I think probably with under a minute or a minute and a half. And the, he was leg kicking me pretty hard. He had, like, he had like two or three good leg kicks, and he tried to throw him, like, all spazzy right off the bat. I just tried to keep my cool. And uh, he threw, like, three leg kicks. I think on the third one, I just threw an uppercut, and, and that was that. He was all wobbled up. I, I went on the attack ref pulled me off and he was like, he went face planting down and, and I had gotten like a belt uh, in Louisiana and it was, it was a crazy show too. That was like a lot of people were there. I remember Melvin Gillard was like in the UFC at the time and uh, he wasn't there, but man, I had a great time in uh, new Orleans. You know, my, my uh, cousin's in the service at that time, he had met some people down there and he's like, Hey, you know, my cousin's Jeremy Stevens, but no, we actually heard about him. And we would love to have him. And they actually got, he actually got me paid by this guy named Ricky who ended up coming up a few years later. And uh, I stayed at my apartment and trained. I took him up to Militich and he got like his nose broke. And a couple of days later, I went back, picked him up. And uh, cool time. That was a good time. Was that your first time you were uh, actually flown to an event, you think? Yeah. Yep. 
I'm at, you know, that's a good step when you've flown like uh, I'm making yeah. it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. I was like, man, I can't believe I'm doing this. You know, and going down there, it was beautiful. You know, I never, I never experienced anything like that. I, I that was a great experience. It was it yeah. your first time on an airplane? I think so. Oh my! I think so. God. I think, I think <laughs> it was. Yeah, nice, that makes nice. that makes a lot of sense. And I remember actually, I used to text my older sister, who was like my mom, all the time. I'd be like, "Hey, I'm leaving." You know, like just you know, and just always check in. Yeah, I think that was my first time on an airplane. Nice. Did you have a corner, or did you go alone? Yeah, I was down there with uh, Josh Near and uh, my cousin Jake, who was, who was in the the service. And, you know, I met them guys. He had fought on that card and he had fought before me and I cornered him and then he cornered me. And it was Josh Near. I, Josh Near was the only person I had cut weight with. I can't remember what my cousin was doing. He did something else. And me and uh, me and Near went to the maybe maybe he was there. But I remember me and Near just being in this gym. He opened it up down in like Louisiana. It was like no lights around dark. Just opens up this crazy garage. And it's like, here's a couple bags of equipment. Just threw some. uh plastic garbage bags maybe maybe a sauna suit on and it's got to work damn all right so you go from from obviously go to chris mickle you're not you really put an exclamation point on that fight and at this point i, I was telling miguel pre-interview on the independent grind you and josh were always you know super close obviously i mean that's that's fairly well documented but Josh was always the guy just kind of like listening to conversations, trying to catch somebody mouthing off a little bit because Josh loved to fight, like in the cage, outside of the cage. And, and, and I mean, he, he really would look lean into it, lean into a fight to where you were more the quiet guy and you were doing some really obviously incredible things. But I think you were almost overshadowed by Josh because of, his personality at these events. Oh, he was, he was the man, bro. I was just taking, taking notes. You know, I, I have two ears and a, one mouth for music. You know, I thought, plus, you know, I, I grew up in the street where I was always, you know, you kept your mouth shut and you just you stay on the grind and that, watching him do his thing. And I didn't feel like I needed to brag or boast, you know, it's just kind of the way I grew up well mannered too. You know, it's, uh, I never felt like that in a sense. So I was always pretty, I knew I was skilled in violence and, you know, I was just like, give me an opportunity. I could knock you out. And that's, wait, wait, that's wait, you know what? We've, we've got like a lot of noise happening. Miguel, is it you? I don't know. Let me see. Yeah, that's you, dude. Yeah. All right. Okay. So I apologize, man. So skilled no. in violence. So with, with Josh Near, like, it's almost like a one-two punch that you guys are kind of coming into these events with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, Near, Near's, uh, Near was the man back then, you know, but he was always just a quiet dude. And I, I always liked that about him because it was like Robbie Lawler, too. You know, I'm, I'm many things at this time. You know, I'm a, I'm a brother. You know, I'm a son. And, you know, even at a young age, you know, I just kind of kept my wits about me. And we always – we always just showed up and because we knew like once once those cage doors close, like I can actually be kind of that rowdy dude. I can take some of this fucking pain, this anger, this 
shit that I'm going through and I can deal it out by just bashing you and, and, and beating you up very skillfully, you know, uh, knees to your head, elbows, kick into the liver, like things that I'm working on in the gym. I'm like, I get to go do to somebody and that guy's trying to take me out. I'm taking this as like, they're, they're coming at me with everything. People are like, bro, I show up to fist fight you and, 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 and brutally knock you out because I'm a KO artist. I want to stick to my basics, show you what I've been learning. And I know if I'm throwing a hundred and something uh, punches around, more chances of me are winning. And the more that I'm doing that, the more my pay is going up. You know, people are recognizing me. It's getting easier to get to my goal, which is the UFC at that point. That's what my mindset was. You know? So I have a question here. Uh, at some point when you would go over there and train like with Miltich, what give us some like, uh, how was that training? Because we hear legendary fights like sparring, just tough stuff. How was it when you go over there? I feel like that was some of the best training in the world. And I, I honestly miss it. It was, you know, you came in, the guys like Spencer Fisher and Josh, they would run like 20 minutes at like incline and they would pick up the pace. They would start it out and they were just, they were running fast. They were running hills or they'd just go run around a little bit and they would come in and like, we would just get after it. We would train hard discipline, good technique, grind it out, come back to some technique, grind it out. And then we would just do like train conditioning plates, running across the mat, pick them up, you know, mat returns. And it was like championship worth ethic, you know, and then on the weekends we were running sprints up these hills and getting, I mean, it was everything and anything. And it was fun. It was high, highly skillful training with Pat Militich, Tim Sylvia, who, Robbie. Who's Waller, your main training partners? Jen, Jens Pulver, uh, Zach Micklewright, young, young up and comer nears there. Uh, just, you know, crazy. And I'm just like, well, this is it. LC Davis. You know, those guys, that's did, did you, how did you, how did the sparring go between yourself and Jens? <laughs> Man, it was awesome. There was a time where I was so scared of that guy. He would be uh, fully, I would go early, like 15 minutes, which I always thought was on time being a little bit early, 15 minutes. He would already be laced up, jump roping, uh, glo not gloved up, but with his like pads on, he'd be jump roping. And then he would like, he would glove up and just kind of shadow box. And he was always just bouncing around like this. And they're like, Hey, you got to spar Jensen. I'm like, fuck man, this guy's ready. <laughs> Look at this guy. He's fucking way ahead of me. He's like, it was Jens Pulver. And I'm just this young 18 year old kid. I remember a uh, couple of good sparring matches with him. One time he hit me in the liver and I turned and I was like, Oh, and I looked and I looked and Pat Militich was like, just walking around, checking, make sure no one's bumping in each other. And he's like, what are you going to do? And I remember just kind of like looking at him and then like, I see Jens is kind of like teeing off and I'm like, all right, I'm kind of defending myself. And then I'm like, all right, he's not knocking me down. I'm good. And I just start fucking bombing back. Boom, boom, boom. And got that respect, finished out around. And I remember Pat just being like, good job. And I remember going to the corner like later that day, dude, I remember like, that was a rough one. I even like more sparring and just kind of putting my head down like, dude, like, questioning like what the fuck am i doing getting my head beat in like <laughs> is this really for me like this is crazy and then another time he had split my head open i had a headgear and we're going you know we're twisting hooks and he he hits me with this beautiful uppercut and it pisses me off and i didn't realize i was bleeding at the time but i can start to feel it and i started kind of turning it up on him again just being like man this motherfucker hits hard as fuck in my mind i'm thinking man this guy is like fucking me up and like, you know, I had those 
times where I, I told you I'm in the corner and I'm like putting my head down and I'm like, dude, this is crazy. I don't know what I'm doing here. Like I'm, I'm getting my head beat in. These guys are way better. You're doubting yourself. Years later, I'm at a UFC event. My wife's like, hey, there's Jens. Didn't she like, didn't you used to train with him? And I'm like, oh yeah. I run over to the other side of the section. I run down there during like a UFC event. It's like an intermission. I run down there. I'm like, hey, Jens, what's up, man? You remember me? And, and he's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, bro, you're one of the hardest dudes and you know that I ever sparred and hit. And he's like, me? He's like, I remember you, dude. He's like, I always knew you were going to make it. You know, like you hit hard as fuck and you're still doing it. And I go, bro, why didn't you tell me this? Like as a kid, you know, <laughs> I go, I was like, I almost gave up, man. He's like, oh, it no, helps. bro. He's just like, he's like, I loved it. He was like, you were fucking tough. And gave me my props and I, I I never got that props from him a long time ago and that's just kind of a funny moment how far back that shit goes and he's actually comes down here and uh he does that cage warriors he he uh, does the commentating and I see him out here and I, I tell him really good like uh barbecue spots places to go to like Korean barbecue and like they where you grill it up yourself type I love Fire. it yeah good guy so, man man you know I mean there was a long time I think there the military's camp was the best in the world. I mean, seriously, in the world, that the Iowa best camp. Tough. Yeah, Iowa I mean, tough. Seriously, they had so many UFC fighters and champions. Was unreal. Me, Josh Near, like, dude, legends came out of there. Like, still. Hughes, Horn, you know, Tim Silva. I mean, Jesus, everybody there was tough. It was like, geez, they had, they had so many UFC champs and just top contenders. And it was like some little place. And I was, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I remember, like, I think, uh, Lee Murray uh, trained there and went and trained there. And he, I remember uh, Pat, like we'd go hang out, bus balls. And he, and, and they're like, yeah, he's a pen pal to Lee Murray. And I was like, I fucking love Lee Murray. He's a gangster. Right. Like, I, like I always, Legit. and I heard that he had knocked out Tito's tooth in like a strip club. And I was like, dude, this guy, he's the man. And he was like, yeah, I write uh, Lee Murray from like prison and stuff. Cause he had trained and, you know, he's like, he's got some time. So I just make sure he, re I remember uh, him kind of, he was writing that letter out. He had like two, three pages, really took his time before practice and all that kicked off. And then, you know, Pat be walking around sparring himself. You know, I remember he was a good jab, low kicker, jab, low kick. <laughs> you know, that's the thing about Pat. Like, you can't fake that. You can't fake it. Like, you, who knew that he was pen pills with Lee Murray? But you know what, man? The guy sitting in prison, do I agree with everything he did? Obviously not. But, you know, he's taking time out of his day to send him a letter, you know, yeah, am I going to give up on him? You know, this guy came nah. in and put blood, sweat and tears and he reached out to him and he wasn't talking about <clears throat> bank robbing or anything he'd done. He was talking about, man, I really enjoyed that time training with you. Like I, like he was kind of, I, I took that shit for granted. You know, it's like, now that I'm looking back, I'm sitting in here that I'd really want to be over there. And you were a good friend. You know, this guy's trained fucking extremely hard, bro. And that, that team, it brought world champions in. Like, I mean, mad people trained there. And Pat, to that to that day, even when that gym was, like, kind of going under and, you know, everybody was trying to save it, <clears throat> uh, Ben Rothwell, you know, he was a real positive guy, a hardworking dude. He'd always be like, man, you know, try to pay your memberships. And, and they tried to keep that gym together. You know, Pat was still grinding to that day, running miles, putting it in, looking shredded. And I, I kind of remember being like, you know what, I'm, I'm 18, like I'm in good shape. I, I, you know, I can go home and eat an ice cream bar, but I want to be like that motherfucker. That guy's actually outworking me right now. Like he's old, he's, he's got like gray in his beard, but he's shredded as hell. And he's a world champion. You know, he's got a gorgeous wife. You know, he's, he's doing, he's got a gym, he's got world champions. 
come in here and I'm like, I want to be that guy. I want to be that type of leader. You know, Pat's a great dude. So do you split your time between Des Moines and San Diego? No, I'm, this is, this is my house, man. We live, live out here in San Diego. I've lived out here 12 years, maybe almost close to 13 years. Bought my homes out here and, and uh, I go back to Iowa with my, with my family and and go visit. And, you know, we always have a place to stay at the in-laws, my, my parents, my sister, stuff like that. And your sister must be incredibly proud of you, man. Oh man, she's, she's the best in the world. You know, she's, she's a saint. She's got a great heart. <clears throat> Her and my brother-in-law, hardworking guy works out at John Deere. You know, my sister's worked at the same job and she's just amazing. I uh, got two great, great kids. And <clears throat> I learned, I learned how to love through my sister. You know, I, I learned what like a good, healthy relationship was. I never knew how to treat women or what true love was real, like seeing a real loving couple. My sister was like the first to graduate out of our family or go to college. You know, so these kind of like, she was a, a leader, always looking after me. She, she saw stuff going on in her life, you know, and when she grew up, she's just a few years older than me and, you know, she'd look after me and then she ended up kind of raising me. I lived in her house a long time, rent free, you know, times I wouldn't have money to pay. She's always paying groceries and just, she's truly amazing. If you, if you've been she'll to therapy and, and flies out to wherever I go. And she's excited. I'm going to PFL. I think we're fighting down in Florida. She's like, Oh, she's like, I was already supposed to go down there like May 4th, which is around the day. So she's always there, man. If you, if you've been to therapy. Oh yeah. I've done counseling. I've done emotional intelligent classes. I still continue to put myself in emotional intelligent classes, relationships, discovery, uh, really, really crazy gnarly experiences in those uh, EQ classes. And I've, I've done counseling. I continue to do the work. I continue to be a positive role model leader for my kids. You know, can't tell them you got to lead the way. Have you ever, like, have you ever macrodosed on psilocybin? Oh, yeah. Microdose? Have you ever macrodosed? You ever taken a deep dive? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's important. You get to really know a lot about yourself in that situation. It's a teacher. I, I done that stuff even after I gone through the EQ class and I was really clear on my intentions coming out of those experiences. It, you can't explain it because you don't ever want to ruin it for somebody, but it's, it's intense. And, and you're there for four days for one week, got a week off and you're back there for another four days. And then you go to a hundred day leadership, which is basically like you're on calls like this all the time, making time. Oh, you're busy. Dude, millionaires go there. People, uh, chips, a hospital, Ed Clay, Scott Nelson, uh, on the mat guys, you know, they, they've gone out to these classes and those are guys that I'm looking up to leading the way out there, just changing the world with, cause they went out to the EQ class and they're like, you know, what do you want? He's like, I want to help and, and, and build cancer, like freeing cl- clear energy, eating right, healthy. And everybody in America kicked him out and he was looking in Puerto Rico, all these other countries. And he found it one down here in Tijuana and off of just going to that EQ class. And he, we all go like we were talking about these mental battles and like I was just struggling with a real a place in life. Like after the Aldo fight, maybe it was a midlife crisis, depression. I don't know. But when I went to this class, it, it really saved my life and it brought me aware on so many things. Uh, I mean, I basically cried in my wife's arms, apologizing for any of the the, the shit I may have caused, you know, gr- growing up in this world. You know, it's the fight life. There's women out there. I was a piece of shit. Right. And I, I was never been that type of vulnerability in my life. And I feel like those experiences, that knowledge, that awareness, it's like the Tony Robbins 
guru stuff. And I just kept buying into it because that hundred day leadership, I noticed my life changing. I've noticed getting better in my relationships. I'm, I'm talking to my daughters in a certain way. I'm being a certain way, talking to you guys like this. It's uh, it's enlightenment in a sense. And then I took the, the doses and, you know, done some crazy stuff and I've, I've had awesome experiences and I come out of there and I'm like, I died in that experience. And now I'm like hugging my kids. Like I'm excited about a softball game. I'm looking at the sunshine. I got off alcohol, put, put 10 and a half months space in between me and alcohol on that awareness. And I'm like, just enjoying the smaller things in life. And it was, it was truly crazy because I always like associated drugs, chaos, but I was like, I don't want to get into like cocaine, say for (laughs) example, but I'm like, I've heard good things. Joe Rogan talking about DMT microdosing. And, you know, out here in California, it's a different lifestyle. And people talk about that and the trauma. And I've done, I've done military combat training and people have spoken to me about this. Even big business millionaires I've had dinners with have like, man, you're, you seem different. You seem on that type of level. And like, they're like, you ever done, done psychedelics? And, you know, they told me that I was like, man, some of the best times. And, and they, they'll always leave me with like a good message. Like, Hey, really spend time with like your kids are 12 and 10, really spend time with them, take them on dates and always drop that good knowledge, you know, off that learning. Jeremy, Jeremy man, I'm really, uh, this is awesome to hear because I know a lot of times I see people really, you know, they're, I don't want to say one dimensional, but it, it, they're focused on what they're focused on. But it seems like to me, you're focused on the important stuff. Now, you know, you're growing, you're matured. It's like, man, not that fighting is not important. It's very important. But I mean, you see the big picture in life and, and that makes me really happy to hear, man. That That's fantastic. A lot of people just can't get out of the fighting realm and that's everything in their life. And it just seems like you're well, well balanced, man. That, that's, that makes me very happy to hear this. Yeah, I'd be, I went, like you said, I'd probably be in jail. It's probably why you suspected if I was walking around like the heathen inside the cage, you know, on the streets, I'd be, I'd be done. I like that about Tom Brady. So it talks about compartmentalize. I'm a father. I'm a, yeah. I'm a, I'm a husband, you know, I'm a football player. He's like, as I got older and I got more efficient with my body and training, when's the time to turn it up? When's the time to really grind? And he's like, in between that time, I don't have like stay on top of my training a bit, but I don't have to put all that time. Now, like, I'm taking my kids to Disneyland. He's doing all that. And I- That's kind of what led to me wanting to retire as well was just the fact that, you know, my kids were getting older. I was like, man, you ain't getting this time back. You know I mean? I spent my whole time trying to find UFC and then be a full-time firefighter. I was like, I, I can't do it anymore. You know what I mean? So I, I get that. Uh, I wish I could have figured out a way to do everything, but I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I always uh- – I always was inspired by you doing that and, and thank you for your service out there. And I like the way that you did it. Thank you. I heard you talking about your daughter somewhere out here in LA in college and uh, congratulations on that, man. So you know what I'm talking about and, and oh, what yeah. I'm trying to build and I'm trying to watch my kids play softball at UCLA and they're training with uh, mm-hmm. Alyssa Garcia that that's out there right now. Uh, her father's a, a great coach of ours and, and helps, helps me and my kids. And these are the type of things that, that I want, you know, it's like, I can't go around being a fighter all the time. There was a point where I was like that. I was grinding all the time, but as you get older in these experiences, the more that you get, just it's the more learning and fighting's a, a really good teacher. I don't want to go when I'm 50 years old, looking back, having to call a friend or, or, or my dad, like, Hey, I apologize on my deathbed or to my daughter. It's like, no, I'd rather, I'd rather just learn now, you know, and, you know and th- 35, you've got so much life ahead of you. Like, I, I think the life lessons that you didn't choose where you came from, but what you took from it has allowed you to be a lot further ahead 
of most people your age. Yeah, Charles Darwin said it best. It's not the smartest or the strongest. It's the person willing to adapt to change. I felt I was very adaptable, coachable. You know, I've been coachable throughout the years. <clears throat> That's what's kept my longevity, keeping an open mind. Like one way is not going to, there's more than one way up the mountain, you know? Yeah. So here, let, let's, let's, we only got a couple fights left and you make it to the big show. February 21st, 2007, Titan Fighting Championship, Norman Alexander. Where's that hat? Uh, oh, title, title fighting championship. That's in Iowa. Maybe I fought. Uh, was that a? Uh, was that right before, or, uh... It was right after Chris Mickle, right before Vern Jefferson. Vern Jefferson is a dude that's got like tattoos on his yeah, head. Yeah, that was a that was a Muay Thai fight. Oh, it's that was a Muay Thai fight actually, because it's I had a record. This kickboxing coach that I was kind of working with or kind of was around, he was like, oh, I'm having a <clears> – <throat> or actually, I wasn't working with him at the time. He he knew Josh and reached out and was like, hey, you know anybody who fight uh, in a Muay Thai fight? And Josh was asking, and, like, nobody in MMA wanted to do it. And I was like, I'll do it. And I was like, January, because I was like, I'm going to keep fighting. I might as well get paid this month and fight like – you know, I'm like, I know I'm not fighting no beast in Muay Thai uh like not like not from around here but i'm like fuck it like let me try this out like i'm just gonna go hard on this guy whatever we're coming in cardio heart like let's go and we took yeah we took that fight as a muay thai event yeah and then Vir jefferson at the uh green sparks full contact fighting this dude looks like he's right from the prison yard yeah we actually a good thing about him he's a native and uh he still talks to me to this day he's a cop out in uh out in uh like Iowa. I can't remember somewhere. He's a like cop. Somewhere. Yeah, he he. They own like native land. Like their their family is like deep into the native land out there. And he's always actually been a big fan and a supporter. He's tatted up. He trains like he he uh, does like MMA back home and co- kind of combat for the kids. So he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, he he's he he looks like a legit, very very hard opponent. And you get through him with the knockout first round three fifty eight. Um, I think the only thing at this point in the independent grind for yourself is you've obviously got the power. It's just how you set it up. Sometimes, you know, it takes a little bit longer, you know, to throw the right hand, but you are constantly throwing it. Like you, it's all you really threw was fastballs at this point. Uh, mostly, you know, but the, the thing was, is I, I was actually landing like flying knees at that point and yeah. uh, kicking pretty hard and, I was learning that they're, they're ducking so I can come in with knees. And, and I like the brutality of MMA where you can give me three elbows or 500 punches. I'll take three elbows. <laughs> so I feel like I'm, I'm very, very, I'm very brutal. And I know where to put them. Like I have like good, you know, whether they grab my wrist, I'm slicing and dicing. I, I kind of like that brutality of the sport or landing like the big upper, the big right. If I can catch him with a knee or a head kick too, you know, I was always looking for stuff like that. Even at a young age, it was like baseball to me. Oh, I see the jab coming. That's like, you know, a fastball, get out of the way. Oh, the big right hand. That's like a big change up block. You know, I was always, I think I my eyesight, you know, it was really hard to strike out playing baseball and I love baseball. And I feel like that kind of always kept me intact and kept me with an open mind. Cause then as I developed throughout my UFC career, it's like, I have an elbow, a left hook, a flying knee, a head kick, an uppercut, you know, you name it. I, I, I a spinning back fist I got on my, my resume. It's not just the, the right hand, but the right hand is always there too, you know. 
Right. So who was managing you at this point? Where was I? <clears throat> I think I started getting managed by my cousin, Jake, who got me down there to New Orleans. He had a cousin who was around in the game. <clears throat> and he's like, oh, I know he's pretty good at this stuff. He can do it. And he was doing a pretty good job at the time. You know, I just, just got to a point where it was only like local. We can only do so much. I started moving on as I, I started growing. But at that time, you know, he was getting me good sponsorships, you know, two, three grand. Now I'm getting paid for a sponsor uh, and then another two grand over here, a grand here, a couple hundred here. I'm like, damn, I got groceries, rent paid. I'm, I got gas now. <laughs> I'm training a little bit harder. Like everything's like kind of leveling up, you know, uh, slowly but surely things just started leveling up. Wow. Well, you get the big call. May 26, 2007, UFC 71. Where were you at when you heard the news that the UFC was signing you? Man, you know, I was at a glory fighting uh, in Iowa, and it was like the first show, and the second show was going to be me and Alonzo Martinez, like in April. We were going to fight. We were two out of the Midwest, bring a lot of fans, a lot of excitement. I mean, I'm talking uh, Omaha, Nebraska was coming over to Iowa, or Iowa was going down to – Omaha and it was it was again it was like another me and Chris Mickle it's going to be who goes to that next level and I, what I thought was the next level was the UFC and that didn't happen and I ended up <clears throat> hearing the news my manager at the times like yo UFC called uh Den Thomas's opponent pulled out and I knew who Den Thomas was he fought me and then like I think a fight or two later fought for he fought Kenny Florian then he, he was beating Florian's ass he blows out his knee ends up having to like take the choke out like second or third round it was kind of devastating because Den was doing really good and I knew he was tough so I knew it was going to be a great fight but it, once again just like when you're like hey bro don't take it I'm like dude I'm knocking this dude out I'm thinking like this is my chance this is my opportunity of course everybody was like take it at this point this is the UFC you got to take it and I went out and passed out like a, I had bought like a hundred t-shirts for like that event. I ended up going downtown to Des Moines, Iowa, where that event was. They had like cameras there. And I passed out over a hundred shirts, signed autographs, signed pictures all for free out of my bank account. And basically just told them that I was going to the UFC and just got like a lot of love and just hung out with my, my, my whole town that night. You know, it sucked that, you know, we, we couldn't pull that fight off, but you know, everybody's pretty happy for me. Yeah. So I was on that reality show with Den Thomas. That dude was a beast, man. I mean, he was so good. I mean, he was really good on his feet, but people don't realize how good he was on the ground as well. And I remember that fight with Florian. Yeah, he was doing really well, blew his knee out. And he kind of falls down, and, and Florian's kind of hitting him. He's just kind of looking like, I, I can't do anything. I can't. It just as unfortunate yep. for him, man. I felt terrible for him. Yeah, yeah. Den Thomas, man, even to this day, I see him around the UFC and we always shake hands and chat it up. And he's like, dude, you're still doing it. He's like, he'd always like, man, always, always looking out after you, after we fought, because I didn't know who the fuck you were. Now, now I do. And he's like, now I'm a, a, a big fan. And, and he's like, I've enjoyed you watching you over the years. And anytime I've ever gone down, I helped out Jorge Masvidal. He's always been around and just been a great dude. Someone I always, uh, someone I was always happy that beat me, you know, not like, I'm like, man, I hate that guy. <laughs> Super cool guy, man. Super cool yeah. guy. One of my favorites. Great so guy. after Den Thomas, you lose by armbar. I mean, that is something easy to stomach. But the UFC also tells you, go get another win and, you know, we'll think about bringing you back. How hard was receiving that phone call? 
No, they, you know, what's funny, man, is UFC didn't cut me and UFC didn't say, go get another win. I asked them because I only made three grand <clears throat> fighting Den Thomas in that first UFC. I don't know. Chris was probably around the same pay, two grand, three grand. It was three and three, three to show three to win. I got three grand and I took a pay cut from all the fights that I had been, been training sponsors. I'm like, dude, I'm making more money in Iowa than I made in a UFC fight. I basically enjoyed a free hotel. I got to fight in UFC, get my name going. But I was like, do you guys mind if I fight here like a, another month or two? They're going to put me on the shelf. And I'm like, yeah. and they're like, yeah, just don't lose. Like, yeah. you cannot <laughs> lose. And I was like, yeah. say no more. I'm not the guy that does that. I'm like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to fix the car up, tune up, and I'm coming back stronger. And they allowed me to do it. And that's crazy. And then I, I won. We hit them up. Like, hey, we won. Cool. Come on back. Yeah, so that was July 27th, 2007, MCC9. I mean, Halverson, MCC was one of the most legit, like their social media, like all their videos, their everything that they do were doing was so cutting edge that they were probably the biggest organization in the entire Midwest when they were kind of at their peak. And um, you fought Nick Walker, who was 3-0, and and you knocked him out in the first round. Took you, it took you a little while to get there, though. Yeah, I remember, I remember how the uh, MCC was built with Ryan Haas and John Halverson. We were sitting, hanging out. I was hanging out with Josh near. We were in an apartment, and Ryan Haas is like, yeah, I bought a cage. Halverson's like, you bought a cage? He's like, yeah, I already bought it, full cage. This is my idea. Halverson kind of been around the business a little bit. They got to head, and they linked up, and boom, they threw on that event. Yeah. Jeremy, I, I had, a, I had a, a, a similar thing right there. I, I got off the Ultimate Fighter and I asked for one fight out of my contract. And they told me the same thing. No problem. Just don't lose all your cut. And I was like, all right. Well, luckily, the, the people around me uh, got me set up a nice, easy fight. It was a Midwestern fight. You know, I thought I looked at the guys like 11 and 6. I was like, hey, this guy sucks. Happened to me and Matt Brown. So. Oh, geez. it was it was a much tougher fight than I planned on, man. I remember halfway through the second round, I was like, God, what is going on here, man? I finally submitted him. I was like, I don't want to fight that guy anymore. And then his next fight, I think he's in the UFC, you know, and just did really well. But I was like, yeah, I can tell right from the beginning, this guy's going to be a handful for people. Yeah, that's the thing about MMA is you <clears throat> always tell you don't people, know. like, sometimes, you know, you see people like, yeah, I want to do it, you know, and you just kind of tell, like, ah, you're not really made for it because I'm like, bro, you got to be careful because <laughs> – Sometimes you run across the Matt Brown seeing out here playing around, you know? Yeah. I mean, I I didn't know until we did this, did a deep dive with him and like probably like his last five fights before he fought me were all like really good UFC level guys in their hometown, you know? So I'm finding this guy's like 11 and five, but he's fought 15 tough guys and he's beat 11. I mean, I was like, you know, you gotta be, you never know who you're going to walk up on there. You gotta be careful. If a guy's got a deceiving record, sometimes you gotta be careful. Yeah, he's still in the UFC too, man. He's, I know. <laughs> he says he, he and Coleman are very similar, him and Mark Coleman. And he's like, yeah, I think I got about four or five more years. <laughs> what? Hey, <laughs> good for you. Yeah. Hey. Hey, maybe yeah, that's another guy. Tom, Tom Brady said maybe, 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 maybe he wakes up tomorrow, maybe he doesn't want to do it. I, you know, people always ask me that. And I go, you know, I feel great. My body's amazing. You know, I've always kept my body super healthy. I want to go another couple of years, max out on this money, make sure I have enough cash flow to cover everything so I can fully just retire. But I'm like, you know what? Maybe tomorrow I'm just like, you know what, man? Maybe I just want to be with my kids. Maybe I want to go uh, 
do what Chris does. Maybe I want to go be a firefighter, a police department, you know, DEA agent, like whatever it is. Maybe I, maybe I just want to take some time off. Who knows? But, you know, keep it rocking. And then, you know, one day you'll know. <laughs> exactly. yeah, Jeremy, here, the thing is you've put yourself in a position where you, you're, you're, what, 35? 35, yeah. All right. So <laughs> the shit that we're talking about in the era that he fought in, it doesn't equal your age. Like it's, you've put yourself in a position like you're always kind of maybe a little bit ahead of yourself in terms of what you're supposed to be doing, comparatively speaking to your friends. But you've just said a whole bunch of things and you've got an entire life to live that you could absolutely do. Oh, yeah. Opportunity, you know? baby. That's that's the thing about this game and this life. I'm just just grateful. You know, I, I continue to stay in a good presence, a good mind frame. And there's just opportunity all around so i just said maybe you know it's there's always opportunity yeah all right so let's let's you know chris my fights i've got them exactly where i want them um obviously it's next fight he gets his first win in the ufc but we'll, we'll probably do that at a future date i'd like to throw a couple names with people that you've trained with and just give us a little insight into them the first one he's one of my favorite fighters tony ferguson oh man animal technician hard worker talented go-getter, athletic, just a hard-working grinder, man. True true freak. You know, a lot of people don't feel like understand him. Uh, he's, he's, very, he's very loyal. He's just, he's very tight-knitted family guy. He's talented. Creative. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't fit in any box. You know, he, he made his own. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I kind of like that old school training he'll do. Like, he'll have you, like, hitting woods and – and stuff, and I'm like, dude, that's actually back in the day. You look at Jack Dempsey and all these people. It's like old school. Like you grind to make your sh shit harder. Then he goes out there and he's actually trying to throw them elbows. Like, you know, people are like, no, because he's actually doing it. He's he's really that dude. He's a, he's a technician because of that. It seems crazy, but you see them tides. They're kicking down these these trees. They're like, why is he kicking a tree, not a pad? But then you go <laughs> in there and you're kicking a dude one or two times. Those guys are done. And you know, it's a creative genius and. Fighting, we're not, I guess, we're not like a simple math equation, like two plus two. Tony's a lot more confusing than that, I would just say. He's a lot more to the equation than what you actually would normally get. If you can't understand two plus two, you're not really going to understand Tony Ferguson. No, no. Have you ever worked out with Dominic Cruz? Me or uh, Ferguson? Yeah, yourself. Yeah, yourself. Yeah, Dominic's been my longtime training partner. Okay, San Diego. Yeah, it was a, I know you're in there, but you guys are kind of different weight classes. Have you guys sparred and worked out in the gym? Oh, yeah, sparred, worked out, cut weight, been around, partied, you know, grown, did the EQ class. You know, he's been he's been a leader and someone I always looked up to. A lot of people always – I credit, I'm like, oh, I like to get the Josh Nears, but I, I decided, you know, like, the way Dominic Cruz was fighting, like, on both, like, stances, I remember kind of being feeling dumb, like, how does he do that, you know? And I'm like, but – and MMA, this is going to start evolving. And you notice he was the first person to do it. WC, Chad Mendez, everybody's doing the shift. Which then I started looking into Jack Dempsey, Roberto Duran. I'm like, man, this is like kind of old school stuff, but it works. What happens, you know, if like you get your calf kicked off, you got to mm -hmm. switch legs, you know, you got to, you got to adjust. And I realized that was the way MMA is going to go. It's going to go, what do you, what do you call that? Where just, you can find from different actions. You know, you people are hitting spinning stuff now these yeah. days. Jersey Joe Walcott. Basics, but I knew it was going that route. Jersey Joe Walcott in boxing, 
broke every single rule. There's a couple of footwork videos of him on YouTube. They are absolutely mind blowing. It's just those old school cats, man. They just, you know, they, they did it themselves. You and Dominic also have a very similar upbringing. Yep. So, I mean, it, it's not surprising to me that did you get along so well with him. Yeah, he, you know, he went to that EQ class too. You know, we were always dealing with stuff. And Dominic, I feel like, is a way of being now that we haven't seen him ever. You know, he was back in the day, he was kind of a jerk to people or what I would come off as. And a lot of people could see him that I felt him in that way. But he's always been that guy. He's going to give you the honest feedback. But he never really opened up too much. You know, he's always kind of just sheltered, real quiet. You never knew what was up with Dom. As we've gotten, gotten older and, and grown and, developed you know we've uh, allowed ourselves to be vulnerable grow share our experiences share our growth and look up to one another and and learning man you know seeing him being injured like there was like another like psychedelic experience was like damn i'm living life like i'm able to train like i'm grateful and i'm bringing over a bowl of pasole and my, my buddy's knees going like this you know, so that was like always kind of good to be around and, and be thankful for too is my health and that I'm fact that I'm, I'm this guy that can fight three days later, a week later, a month later. Wild. How was your uh, dealings with Joe Silva? Fantastic, man. I love Joe Silva. Really? I, I love him. He was my favorite guy to deal with. Uh, I, I always had to deal with him and, and Shelby. Me and Shelby don't really get along. I don't feel like we just don't vibe. We don't click up. Me and Joel Silva, he was a fucking man. He came and seen me uh, after I knocked out Dennis Bermudez. Him and Sean Shelby uh, come up. My dad's there hanging out, and they just wanted to talk to me because about, you know, the missing weight. I, I, I failed to make weight. You know, it was just a, it was just a problem. You know, I was really sucking some weight. Learning about myself, you know, and having to do things orally and uh, through, through hydration and the fact that I, I started learning after that fight to really pick up my run regimen and, and find different ways of training and then hard, 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 stress your body out. And they came up and, and, and come see me. And they, we had a really, really cool talk. And I always was real super cool with Joe Silva. He was a man of his word. That's super cool. Chris, I mean, you got any Travis Fulton stories? Other than that, I'm out. <laughs> Do you got any Travis Fulton stories from back in the day? Me or? You, yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, no, I haven't. Uh, Travis Fulton was a guy around that I always seen in pictures. Super big dude. I heard recently it was like a sad story what what happened to him, but uh, he was always around and someone that was around the MMA scene. I remember seeing posters of him. I'm like, dude, this guy's Jack. He remind he kind of remind me of my uncle Gino, uh, bigger guy. Jack had the traps, you know, and uh, I never seen him fight. Not not one time. He was he was always around the the area. I didn't really see him train. I kind of seen him around a bit, but never never saw him fight. Maybe one time I did see him uh, fight, but it was. Something I, I could I couldn't even remember. Yeah, Chris. Well, I'm Jeremy. Jeremy and me just can't thank you enough for your time. Love your story, man. I really love where your head's at, where your head and everything. Um, you know, I see a lot of guys who, no matter what happens after your fight career, you're gonna be you're gonna be good. You know, I just love Success. hearing that. You're gonna utilize this as a platform to do other amazing things. I believe, and this ain't gonna be the end of your story. It's just this is just a part of it, and I love hearing that. So. Uh, thank you for your time. And anytime, if you ever want to go watch a bare knuckle fight, I'll get you tickets, man. Get a hold of me, and I'll, I'll love to have you come one sometime and watch. Yeah, Chris, you have my number, man. Stay in touch, dude. Lights out, light on, dude. Big fan. I, I, hey, I my man, I appreciate that. I never meant to steal your bonuses, bro. I was just really trying <laughs> to mock you because, man, you were, you were that guy. People wanted to see, you and they they love that that type of 
character that's going to bite down on his mouthpiece and go forward. And you did a lot of great things, man. It's happy to see where you're at, too. Thank you. I really appreciate that, man. It means a lot. Thank you. Mike, great questions, man. That was a hell of an interview, bro. Like I said, I don't do interviews. That was that was awesome. It, it kind of yeah. brought me back, touched my heart. So thanks, brother. Why don't you do interviews? You've got such an incredible personality. Yeah, you do good. An amazing story. I, I like doing interviews with with people that I that I know. And, you know, if you're asking a good question, stuff like this, maybe, maybe I will reach out a little bit more and do some more interviews while I have some time. Dude, I mean, it's like when, when you know, we, our interview kind of got interrupted. Miguel, Miguel and I were talking like, this is a huge miss. Like, you've been there 14 years. You've got this incredible story. You know, you put your time in. It's like you, you never, a lot of times, like you're sitting in, you know, the West Coast right now. A lot of those fighters are given things. You know, they're given opportunities because they're close to it. No one's ever given you a single thing ever. Ever. Yeah. <clears throat> thanks brother thanks for for recognizing that and being aware you know because i don't want to come out and bad bad mouth people it's like you know look i could easily be in there fighting and still competing you know i just it just didn't go my way instead of bitching complaining i got a, a, an opportunity to make a little bit more money than what i'm making now and a shot at a million dollars and people are tuned in like i'm putting my story out there i think really people are like even the love that i got you know because people thought like i got fired and then it got out there it's like no nah, he he chose to part ways, you know, he, he decided to go his own route. And I love that. And the fans were just like, wow, you know, like th this is the reality, you know, you want to be a fighter. This is it. This is those like, Hey, I'm glad I learned a hard lesson when someone didn't pay me back in the day. This is it. All I can do is just give my heart, give my best, keep marching forward. Opportunities are ahead and, and we have a long way to go. And if I die tomorrow, I know that I always gave my best and put it out and I can rest easy. Awesome. Jeremy, Good stuff, you're man. savage brother. You're Can't seven. wait to see you Thank fight you. again, my man. Hey, love you guys, man. Thank you guys very much. Appreciate you. Well, Mike, we got another one in the books, and uh, I don't know. Jeremy Stevens has got to be up there for the most candid interview. Like, he was just, hey, giving it straight from the hip, man. Love it. Love yeah. it, man. I, I knew I'd like the guy, and I like him even more than I thought I'd like him. <laughs> Think about this. His mom has never seen him fight. The guy's got 50 fights. He's fought all over the world. His mom has never seen him fight live. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you added all that stuff on there at the end because my mom's never seen me fight either, but I've never fought anywhere all over the world. No, 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 none of that. So, <laughs> no, I mean, anyway, it's, uh, he, he was incredibly candid. And um, I, I think this is one of those interviews that, uh, you know, we look back on and say we're, we're really proud of. Yeah, you know what makes me, all kidding aside, you know, he fought a decade and a half for the UFC, and it really feels like they underutilized this guy. Because, like, this guy could has, like, little role model potential, and he's got a good backstory. He presents himself real well. Like, Mike, what's my thing? He checks off a lot of boxes, right? Man, but he does. Does, but he, but he does 15 years. It doesn't feel like they underused him. Like, yeah, roll him out as the B-side. We get a great fight, and then it's like, yeah, thanks, Jeremy. And then put no money into marketing and put no, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't say I get it. I can't say I get it. Like, you know, I, I, I don't get it. Yeah. Miguel, our podcast only exists based on the fact that the fighters that we highlight and really kind of get to know their story's never been told. So, yeah. and we, we, I mean, that, that's it. Like if, if their story was told properly, we wouldn't exist. 
And, you know, that's, that's kind of like why we're here. Like we, when you and I were, were doing other podcasts before, we'd always thought, man, we got to do something about history. It's, it's a void that, that hasn't been filled. And, you know, and Chris kind of was the glue to kind of bring us all together. We're all historians. It's like, this stuff needs to be documented. And I'm really, really proud of, you know, really covering, you know, a, a fighter like Jeremy, who doesn't get nearly the amount of respect that he deserves. Yeah, exactly. Like a hard worker and a guy that still kind of going strong in, in terms of, you know, I, I'm not too worried about Jeremy Stevens. Like, you know, oh man, I hope he doesn't, you know, fade away or go into, you know, bitter in a basement. You know what I mean? And like a lot of old boxing stories that like we bring up, he's a positive guy and was from the very beginning, learned those mental lessons. So like a role model type of guy. Like I might, I'd show my kid that interview and be like, you know, this is a guy you can imitate. Well, and it's like uh, sometimes the hardest lessons to learn are the ones that you have to live through. And growing up in that type of environment, do you know how much easier it would be just to, you know, take a 12 pack and eat some pills every single night. Like that would be so much easier. Like you tune yourself out. Okay. You're going from house to house, but you're constantly medicating when you're sitting at the end of a bar doing nothing with your life. It's a lot harder than staying staying sober that same amount of you know period of time it really is. I got a ton yeah, of respect. Just, for him. It's just, yeah. Where, where are you putting the focus? What, 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 what's your aim and goal? And if that's not clear. He had it clear, and he had it clear when he was young. Um, Grandpa. Wow. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a hero. I mean, that, that's yeah. that, that's that's the very definition of a hero. Yeah, what a is man Grandpa after your own heart. Yeah. So, so ladies so and gentlemen, thank you, Jeremy. Thank you. Yep. Please like, share, subscribe. It uh, really, really helps us out. And I've got April eighth, one fifteen Bourbon Street on the south side of Chicago. I'm doing commentary there. And April 16th, sign up through Smooth Comp. I'm in Orlando, Florida. I'll be hosting the Abu Dhabi Jiu-Jitsu um, you know, tournament in Orlando. Please, 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 by supporting us or our show or the things that we're involved with, the Lights Out Bourbon or you know, Bare Knuckle Boxing, it, inevitably it helps, it helps all of us. It allows this podcast to exist. So, you know, we appreciate everybody's uh, you know, love and support that we've been getting in the comment section. Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.